welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is such a great time to be alive. The season is here. Softball is in full swing. And we had a lot of fun this past weekend in Tuscaloosa. I'm Gray Robertson alongside my partner, as always, Tom Canterbury. Zoom in for the pod as we do here in season three. Tom, hello. How are you? Good. Very excited. Not only a fun time for softball fans, a fun time for anybody that's a fan of any sport at Alabama. It was a good weekend for the Crimson Tide, so it was a good weekend for me. <laughs> it was. There was so much going on, and uh, we were honored to be the broadcast team for a couple top 10 matchups on SEC Network Plus, as always added to our duties at the Crimson Tide Sports Network. That, I think, Tom spread the uh, the out-of-the-box brand a little further than just the Alabama and SEC circles, which was fun. And it was great to hear from so many folks tuning in, watching all the games, listening to all the games. And it really was an exciting week two overall for the sport, a little bit more in the upset category than we saw in week one. And I think that just adds to the intrigue here in 2021. Yeah, especially considering the fact that we kind of thought there wouldn't be many upsets because the on paper, there didn't look like too many were possible there this weekend here in week number two, but they uh, they came through some couple pretty big shockers and just a, a lot of it, it seemed like it was a common theme throughout the entire uh, country as the weather kind of started to cooperate a little bit more that this really felt like it was the beginning of softball season. And we've got a lot to talk about, obviously, in this podcast. We'll start at the plate, talk about the Bama Bash, what Alabama did right. The very little that went wrong, but there were, you know, I mean, not everything's 100% positive, so we have to talk about some of that, too, and, and get ready for the Crimson Classic this weekend, Tom, with a UAB midweek, our first midweek of the season. Yeah, and uh, these might not be the marquee blue blood names that we saw this past weekend with LSU coming in, but uh, some good teams coming in this week. UAB's been playing well. Of course, we saw North Carolina in 2020, so... Uh, that is also uh, something to be talked about as well. So uh, Alabama won't need to will need to not let their guard down. Continue to improve and play good here this weekend. Then we will advance to first here on the podcast. Talk about the SEC. A lot went down in the conference. Tom, kind of a bad weekend overall. A lot of teams upset by the group of five squads, and then some of the contenders had really shaky weekends. Obviously LSU, but Florida needing to walk off Georgia Southern. I mean that. Yeah. That's not what you expect to see. Yeah, Tennessee has had issues. Mississippi State has had issues. It's been a it's been a tough tough weekend in in some ways, and kind of just showing you that, especially here in 2020, coming off of or still in the midst of a pandemic where different people have had different time to get ready, you're gonna have to be ready to play at any point because anybody can beat anybody else. Yeah, we'll also in that segment talk about some of the big SEC games coming up this week. There are many, and we'll get to that. In just a bit. Also, Gray's FGCL corner, FGCL player of the week. It was a fight, Tom. We'll uh, we'll get to that later on. Then we'll steal second with our friend from D1 softball, Tara Henry, former UCLA player. Two straight weeks with Bruins. What are we doing? <laughs> the, the Bruin bubble all over the place. We've been soaked in, and mm. I don't know what happened, but here we are. <laughs> oh, that's our current situation, but she's not yeah. our only guest. We uh, we will no. also round third with my TV partner, Sydney Little John Watkins. We'll be working together for the first time this year on Wednesday for UAB. So, Tom, I am leaving you. I'm sorry. No, great. So now that we've got everything just humming perfectly on a well-oiled machine, now I'm by myself for a while going over to that other medium. Not even going to be in the building. Jeez. We'll be, 
will be from a remote location, more or less. <laughs> I will be there. I will be there. You will not, is how this will work. Yeah, so you can uh, let me know if anything <laughs> wonky goes on that we don't yes. see. Then we will head home. We've got a new kind of top five, Tom, our top five Montana Fouts pitching performances. And then we've Quite got good. off the wall, big non-SEC games to watch in week three and a couple other things we will discuss as the podcast winds down. But let's start at the plate and give a quick correction. I think it is on PTI on ESPN where at the end they, they check what they did wrong. Mm-hmm. We had a whole conversation with Jen Schroeder last week that was just incorrect. And mm-hmm. um, it was partially, and and our friends at the Seven Innings Podcast made the same mistake. Holly Rowe uh, read a, a correction on their podcast last week, but we were all led astray about bat testing. Bat testing is not gone, especially yes. in the Power Five. All the Power Five teams test before every tournament. And uh, yeah, they're, they're, what is missing is the autonomous bat testing protocol across all divisions. And that was just for the financial aspect so that that doesn't further burden the lower level schools. I think most of D1, all power five, I know for sure, are bat testing before every weekend tournament. Yeah, after the, uh, say the Louisville weekend or the weekend doubleheader last weekend or or two weekends ago, I should say, or last weekend, saw Lindsay Jones coming up and she's, yeah, I just had to do bat testing. What? You're doing bat testing? <laughs> and then, oh, uh, then, then I was informed about how we were mistaken. So, yeah, so they, they, if you were bat testing before, you are still bat testing right now. It's just they're delaying the implications. And uh, you can certainly understand that. Again, it's, it's going to be an added financial uh, burden on some smaller schools. And with the pandemic and everything else that's happened, it's not really a good time to add extra financial uh, burdens on anybody. So uh, they're going to delay on that. So that's understandable, but that's good to know. Uh, that we won't see any any hot bats rolling through. Yeah, so our apologies on the confusion. I think everybody was a little confused. That's okay. It happens. And mm-hmm. you're right, no hot bats, or so we think. <laughs> so, we, so we've been told. I'm still <laughs> keeping an eye on Hawaii if they come in here. All right, let's talk Bama Bash. Let's just get some of the numbers out of the way. 4-0. Mm. Two wins over Liberty, 6-3-8-1. Two wins over LSU, Tom, 5-2. to and 13 to five in five innings. It'll be a run rule of LSU, just in case anyone was confused. And right. apparently some people are from what I've seen <laughs> online. All 13 runs in game two scored with two outs. Weekend two out hitting for Alabama. 19 of 39 for a 487 average. Team batting average of 391, 43 hits with 32 runs on those 43 hits. Only 10 extra base hits, but it didn't really matter. A 4.64 on base percentage and an ERA as a team of 1.88, probably a little higher than you would have expected, honestly. But LSU's got a good offense. And I think what impressed me most 25 strikeouts as a staff to just two walks. The numbers speak for themselves, Tom. This was as close as it could get to a perfect weekend for Alabama. Yeah, in the circle, the, the ERA up just because uh, Montana may have thrown four poor pitches that entire game against LSU and the Tigers took two of them out of the yard. So there's, there's that. And that's an offense that's capable of doing it. It was a day where the conditions were very, very good for offenses. The wind blowing out, it was warming up. So I think both offenses took advantage of that. And then Alabama took a little bit more at the end of the game, (laughs) but just amazing. I think the two out stats are just, are, are really amazing. Score all 13 runs in a game with two outs. Kaylee Tao, 
never came up to the plate without two outs <laughs> on the on the board, Incredible. and she came through with five RBIs. An amazing weekend for her, but especially that last game. All right, let's talk Tao. She explodes. 11 and 14 this weekend. I mean, great. SEC Player of the Week with ease. Yeah, to do that against, and, it, you know, no slouches in the circle she was going against, both at Liberty and LSU, both good pitching staffs, but Alabama and Kaylee Tao especially you know, had their way with her. You know what was crazy? Something we realized after everything had wound down and we were talking with SID extraordinary Nathan Sheehan, Tao was 11 to 14. Those three non-hits were all strikeouts. So every time she put a ball in play, it was a base hit. Amazing. It's, it's absurd. It, it really is. And you know, you're not expecting somebody to go a thousand for it. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll give her grace for the three strikeouts, but my goodness, what, what a performance again, just not allowing the inning to end and to continue to keep, keep the, you know, hand the baton down and knock in runs. And she did that. Alabama did a good job of forcing at a, a times a shaky LSU defense to make plays and they made a few, but more often than not, Alabama took advantage. And as I'm looking at it, Tom, of those 11 hits that we saw this weekend, Eight of them by Kaylee Tao were on either the first, second, or third pitch of the at-bat. And that was something Patrick Murphy talked a lot about in the pregame interview multiple times that we did with him before the games this weekend. Swinging at strikes, swinging early in the count. Tao did that. Numbers speak for themselves. Absolutely. Great job to respond to the to the coaching and, and to respond to the adjustments that he was asking them to make. And, and Alabama's offense did that up and down the lineup. If you're if you're facing a pitcher or a, a staff who's, you know, their main job and, and what their main strategy is to try to get ahead of you, that means you're going to throw strikes early. So that means you got to be ready to hit early. And Alabama's offense was that. While Kaylee Tao is the player of the week and the MVP, mm-hmm. this was the Bailey Dowling show. I mean, where do we begin? At the plate, 385, 5 of 13, 7 RBI. Home run, three doubles. That's on the weekend. She had 11 assists, no errors mm-hmm. in the field. A couple of putouts as well. Everything was spectacular. She looked sharp at short. She was mature. She looked composed. She did not look like a freshman out there. I think she's she's got a great start to, to that for sure. You know, was fine at second base as well, the, the game that she played over there. Uh, but looked really at home there at shortstop. There's a, a play against LSU the first game where she – Moved to her left, made a stop, spun around and threw a perfect strike to first. Just a, I mean, just an absolute highlight reel play. Uh, but then she made all the, you know, the routine ones too. Cause sometimes players will have a tendency to make those highlight reel plays and then have trouble with the, with the easy ones. But she, she made those. She, there's a couple of plays where she threw out Aaliyah Andrews, who, and a lot of times that would have been a bang, bang play, if not her beating out an infield single. And, Dowling had her out by by a step. It was it was a very impressive performance. Uh, I've said it numerous times. The fact that a freshman can step into a roster like Alabama's with the depth, especially this year with the added class and the the added uh, expansion of the rosters, and step right in and not just be a starter, but be like a, an entrenched playing every game starter, is very impressive. And it has not been too big for her at all. No, I mean a rising star. And I think the college softball world was put on notice a bit, not only by Alabama, but by Dowling. If she can keep playing like she did this past weekend against the best 
and I think she played her two best games of the year against LSU, then it will be tough to, to keep the accolades off of her, honestly. Yeah, 100%. It's, and that's something Alabama has done a tremendous job with having that, the, the at least a contender, if not the freshman of the year in the conference and, and should have been nationally a couple of years ago. Bailey Dowling's right along there, as, as mentioned in Tom Canterbury's landminer goldmine this year. Maddie Morgan, she's back. She's back in the starting lineup, and I think at worst, Tom, going 400, 4 for 10 with an RBI this weekend, she proves she belongs in that batting order. Now, I don't know if there's room for her defensively. DP might just be the spot, and what that means for her when Door is catching, I'm not sure, but... Maddie Morgan made a statement this week, and I think it was one she had to have and had to make, and I was really impressed. Uh, Now, something else I've said numerous times is there's more than nine or ten starting players on this roster, uh, but there's only nine or ten positions to play. So uh, Maddie Morgan got her opportunity and took advantage of it, and even in the second game where she was one for four, that one was a big one. Uh, So, you know, you're not asking somebody to go to bat a 1,000 when they come in and give that opportunity, but just to contribute and to uh, make plays when given the opportunity. And Maddie Morgan certainly did that. Yeah, I agree. I think she is probably right now, again, if you had to fill out a lineup right this second, she's the DP. If uh, Abby Dorr is is catching, then you're not going to take Bailey Hemphill out of the lineup. So she may just be that first pinch hitter coming out. You know, that's, that's another weapon you can have. Uh, but it's just important for everyone to have the right mindset, and she certainly has had that so far couple more players I want to get to, Tom, before we dive into the pitching and then talk about this upcoming week. Alyssa Brown still can't get out. She hit 500 on Sunday, and that dropped her average. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's how well things are going. And then KB Sides, 417 this week. The reports were, were spouted out by people who were at the game, I guess, about her being in a walking boot. We did not see that personally, but we heard about it too. We don't have an update, quote-unquote, but – it doesn't sound super serious. Yeah. I would think I would think if you don't see her play on Wednesday, don't panic. You might still see her this weekend, but it it doesn't seem initially like something super worrisome for Patrick Murphy and the rest of the coaching staff. We certainly hope not. And if this is something that was nagging and might have been a reason why she wasn't being out a couple of these infield hits or something like that, and and a weekend off would help, it may be you know the best thing for everybody. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't know how, how severe the, the injury is. And so we don't want to speculate too much on what it is. But that's a situation where if she is out for a little bit of time, then, you know, if you move Alyssa Brown up to the leadoff spot, I don't think you're, you're losing anything. Uh, you, you texted me a, a, an unbelievable stat about her uh, swinging and missing and not doing it. Uh, so, yeah. But, Should yeah. I say it? Yes. <laughs> okay. So other than balls that she put in play, I went back through every box score. Alyssa Brown has seen 30 strikes. One has been a swing and a miss. One. Everything else has either been a take or a foul ball. One swing and a miss. That's amazing. That's unbelievable. And, you know, it's not, it's not like she struck out a lot before, but for a slapper, she, her strikeouts were a little bit higher than you would like to see. But that has been something, obviously, she has been working on and has done a tremendous job. And that's the one thing when you are a slapper, you have that ability, just foul it off, stay alive, you know, keep staying live, wait till you get a good pitch. And if she's able to do that, gets those good pitches, that batting average is going to stay high. That on-base percentage is going to stay way high. And she's going to be on second base more often than not afterwards. 
And uh, that means Alyssa Brown can probably score. And when out Al- when Alyssa Brown scores, Alabama does well. It's very true. That might be a, a, <laughs> a stat read on a, another one of our podcast friend shows this week. We'll see if Amanda Scarborough decides to use that. That was great. Claire Jenkins senior day hits a home run. The GoPro footage is not public yet. Our reactions were as you would expect when that happened. Yeah. As you kept, as you said, it was storybook uh, that, you know, she comes up friends and family, all, all there from Coleman. It's a, you know, a smaller crowd than usual because of the uh, reduced capacity, but it was still a great atmosphere and uh, for her to come up in her first at bat and just, just drill a three run homer, no doubter against Liberty and then contributed the rest of the weekend as well against both the, the lady flames and the tigers of LSU. Just great to see her perform well. And she has really, I think the fact that she is back in playing, that's something Patrick Murphy mentioned in one of the pregame interviews is they maybe didn't realize how important she was to everything until she was out in 2020. I think that, I think that's been very evident that she is one of what, one of those key pieces of the puzzle that might've been missing last year. She's not, you know, hitting 350. She's not being as productive as she's been in her entire career in February. However, when she gets a hit, Tom, it turns mm. heads and it's been critical. And if that's what she's doing, you know, I'm okay with hitting 240 this year, but if that hit comes and it's a three run Homer or a, a gapper that right. drives in a couple runs, you will take it a thousand percent. All right, let's talk pitching. Lexi Kilfoyle, not her best game. Definitely not a worst game, though, against LSU on Saturday. Looked really sharp. Had a couple of iffy innings here and there. But overall, I thought she looked really strong. And I thought it was great to see her finish a game against a top 10 team when the pressure was on. There were flashbacks. We said it on the air, and I'll say it again. Flashbacks to Arizona last year as that seventh inning got underway. But Kilfoyle pushed all those thoughts out of her head and, and shut down the LSU lineup, especially – you know, with two on and then getting out Andrews and Pleasance, you could argue they're two most dangerous offensive threats. Yeah, and that's the thing there. In the seventh inning, she let eight, nine or seven, eight. It was either one of those. A but combination it, of the three, yeah. yeah. Uh, let those two get on, which you don't don't want to do, obviously, in the seventh inning. But with that being said, to come back and then get the top of that order out without allowing any run to come across and to, and to keep that game a three-run victory, I thought was was tremendous. Because especially considering those were the issues last year, not just in the Arizona game, but even back to the first weekend with Florida State and North Carolina to kind of maybe exercise those demons a little bit to get that win. And now you're not as worried when you come to the seventh inning moving forward. Maybe they're, you know, might want to see it one or two more times before you're completely. It's kind of like Alabama's extra point kicking in football this year. About halfway through the season, I was like, they haven't missed any yet but I'm still not hundred percent comfortable. But by the end of the year, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even watching the extra points anymore. Hopefully that's the way the seventh inning will be for Alabama. Yeah. Last year we were talking about it and we kept saying, all right, she's just got to get one under her belt and Alabama would either lose or run rule somebody. So she never had that chance. <laughs> right. Well, I will, you know, I'm not going to turn down a run rule. I'm glad that Kilfoyle had to face that adversity against LSU and got over the hump and, you know, you're right. That will prepare her more and, and there will be more chances where she will have to do that again this year. But it was good to see that closure actually accomplished. Absolutely. Because you're not going to just ride Montana Fouts every game. You're going to need Lexi Kilfoyle and you're going to need her in big games. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's very important that she's there and that she's 
had success once we get into conference play, because I mean that in the conference, not just in the postseason, but in the regular season too. You need like the kill foil to win those Saturday games to maybe, you know, pitch half a Sunday game. You're going to need her there. All right. You mentioned Montana Fouts. Let's talk about her struggles as I <laughs> do the air quotes. Yeah. She gave up five runs against LSU, Tom. Ah, four of them earned. Mm-hmm. Pull the scholarship. Oh, gosh. I mean, just she didn't have it. Except <laughs> maybe it wasn't that bad. You know, she didn't walk anybody this weekend. She set a new career high in strikeouts against Liberty. Mm-hmm. She gave up a couple home runs. That happened. She was hammering the zone, and LSU, I think, had a good read on her curveball. But when she went drop, she fooled LSU a lot, and she did not let Andrews, Pleasance, or Briggs really do much of anything. Pleasance had the triple-turned error in the first inning, but on a regular day, that's a routine fly ball. I think if that is her B-minus C-plus game, as it might look statistically – you'll take it because LSU really was never in rhythm offensively. And I think Fouts is just fine. No need to worry whatsoever. No, I think that was some of that was, you know, when she missed, she missed a little bit too much over the plate against a a team like LSU. It's going to take advantage of that, but she didn't miss that often, but she knew she would rather do that and still have a chance to strike them out or get a induce a ground out or fly out than issue walks and allow allow long innings to continue for LSU because she knew the offense was going to back her up. Right. You know that it it was it's easier to pitch obviously when the offense is scoring runs for you. So she knew she didn't have to be perfect. And more often than not, if you're in the zone as much as she was, you're going to get a lot of outs. But you know the opponent, if they're a good offense, is going to hit the ball some. That's what happened against LSU. Uh, you saw how different she was pitching. You know against Liberty. A lot of rise ball to get those third strikes too. You know, she was just going right after him, knowing that she had pretty much overmatched them against LSU, had to use the drop a little bit more and had to use a little bit more different with the curve and, and different different speeds. And a couple of times that, you know, LSU got her. But overall, I was perfectly happy with that performance. Keep those walks at a very, very low, zero or or somewhere around there. Um, <laughs> zero uh, or fewer, right, Tom? Zero or fewer. <laughs> Uh, it, will, it will be great. And so that's going to equal a lot of success for Montana Fouts moving forward. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy where she is right now. You know, Sarah Cornell and Crystal Goodman, I thought both looked, looked good, but they weren't just absolutely, you know, overpowering. So the number three is still kind of up in the air pitching wise, but. You mentioned the pitching. We got six games this week, Tom. UAB on Wednesday. Friday, Memphis twice. Saturday, North Carolina, our dreaded rival, twice. And then a a pretty good Troy team on Sunday. They've got a midweek doubleheader with Samford before they come to Tuscaloosa. Pitching plan, six games. It's a different kind of look. UAB could go anywhere. I mean, I could see Goodman. I could see Cornell getting my start. I could see a Kilfoyle. I think for sure, though, we're going to see Kilfoyle, Fouts, for North Carolina, that that's the one that I'm pretty confident about. And I think whoever starts right. first in that game will probably start against Troy, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, it just depends. It depends on where everybody is health wise. Um, if there's anything nagging that they, do, that they don't want to overtax somebody, but at the same time, I don't, I don't want you, I don't think you want to go six games and have Montana fouts only throw one. I think you're wanting her to pitch twice, if not three times, if she's at, at full strength. So, I mean, I wouldn't be stunned if we go up there, UAB comes in and Montana Fouts is your starter on Wednesday. 
you, you could also, I, I literally would not be surprised if anybody was starting on Wednesday, but I, I could I agree. see Jayla Torrance. I've, there's yeah. been a lot of buzz about her performance, at least in practice so far, the first couple weeks of the season. Sure. Yeah. I, I think we'll definitely see her start a game at some point. And this seems like it'd be a good week to do that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, that it's, it's a blessing and a curse to have six arms, six games curse because I, I can't predict. I don't know. <laughs> Murphy could go in any, any direction he wants. Yeah. Um, I think with Memphis, they're they're zero and four, but it's a little bit of a faulty zero and four. That's two losses to Missouri, two losses to Florida State. Very similar to the zero and four Liberty had this weekend. They're better than a no win team, and and I don't think that that's an opponent you want to take lightly. I think uh, Patrick Murphy knows that, but at the same time, you got to be careful. You know, it, these are these are four good teams that you're playing this week, so you can't really mess around with anybody. Mm-hmm. As we advance the first, Tom. I'm going to just say it. we're Kaylee Tao. That's how we're sure. doing it. Absolutely. Two outs, 0-1 count, <laughs> taking a pitch high in the zone and ripping it out to right field for a base hit. She did that multiple times. I need to go back and watch the film. I literally think it was the same pitch, three at-bats on Sunday. But, hey, the great ones can do that. Sure. You know, and it makes it makes you wonder what the pitching plan was for LSU this weekend. Oh, gosh, that's going to be a team we talk about as we advance the first here on the Out of the Box podcast. And we come back, SEC Week 2, weird week for a lot of teams. SEC squads got upset. They were the upsetters. Just an up-and-down week for the conference, and we'll talk about it when we get back here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. It's time to advance the first. Here on the show, I'm Gray Robertson. There's Tom Canterbury. Tom, hello. Hello. We are back. The SEC is as crazy as we expected, but I think in a different way than we anticipated. I didn't think we would see this many losses from the league this early. Right now, there are just three unbeaten teams as it stands, Alabama, Florida, Kentucky. That is a lot fewer than I would have expected two weeks into the year. Yeah, it seems like some of the other teams have been a little bit more vulnerable to just running up against a team that maybe doesn't have the name recognition, a group of five type team mid-major that is just playing real well. And if if you're not at your best, especially when everyone, I think what has happened in the last 10 months has kind of been a great equalizer. It's kind of leveled the playing field as far as preparation and getting everybody ready. So it, it may be here in the last few, first few weeks uh, we're maybe seeing some teams that if we played these games in April may not be able to get the victory, but they're able to do it here in February. Yeah. So I've got all 13 schools here and and I kind of ordered them in interest level, at least for me. And, and we can talk about if there's anything you want to skip to immediately, just, just say the word, but I think we have to start with LSU, right? I mean, this is a team that went two and two in the Bama bash, two losses to Alabama, two close wins against Liberty Liberty. You could argue was the better team in the first game for at least half of that when they led most of the time. Team ERA, 3.95. That is shocking. And my biggest takeaway from the weekend was that Taylor Pleasant scares me. Amanda Doyle kind of scares me. She's really good in the field. Briggs is a rising star. But other than that, I was disappointed. And I was shocked at how bad, just to put it bluntly, 
some of the pitching was from LSU because this was a staff we expected great things from. I think we'll still see great things from them this year, but Shelby Wickersham was very disappointing in her performance against Alabama and Sinceri had the changeup working, but a lot of the other stuff was inconsistent and missing the zone a lot too. I was just very disappointed in LSU as a whole. And I think Beth Torina has got a lot that they have to work on in the next couple of weeks. And as we're going to talk about later, it doesn't get easier because they've got Louisiana and Oklahoma state twice this week. They kind of remind me a little bit of 2020 Alabama. Oh, uh, you know, having the really high expectations, no reason not to be just 100% dominant, but struggling for just some reason. And it's hard to figure it out. Now, that being said, because of that, you know, you and I both think that Alabama, after that Arkansas series, was about to really take off and be what they were supposed to be. So there may be a kind of turning point part of the season for LSU still coming up. So I'm not, you know, completely just writing them off at this point after a disappointing weekend, but uh, they certainly have some, some things to figure out. There's no chance to kind of, you know, figure it out against some lesser competition. You really had that in the first weekend and you lost the game to Duke. So who now has a number next to their name too. So uh, it's a, it's a tough situation for them. Uh, but like I said, I think at some point they're going probably going to turn the corner on them. I wouldn't completely jump off the bandwagon yet. And I should point out, they play Louisiana on the road Thursday and then Friday, two games against Oklahoma State at home, Louisiana Saturday at home. You know, if there's a chance for a get right, it would be right there. That would give that team so much confidence if they could, I think, take three of four against those two opponents or maybe just split, but win the last two convincingly. But if they play like they did this past weekend, they could go 0-4 real easy. We'll keep an eye on the Tigers. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a big story. And and again, you know, after this week, they go to or they play Texas the next week and then they go to Tennessee to start conference play. So, uh, yeah, we'll they, they better get right or they're going to be leaving belts all over the place. Love it. Or they, or they should be. That should be the requirement. That would be six in a row for Alabama over LSU, by the way. Give us the belt. It's ours. <laughs> uh, should we discuss some Arkansas, Tom? This was a, a weird weekend, wasn't it? So, Arkansas doesn't play for a long time, like mm-hmm. a week, I think nine days actually was what totaled out to. They play 14 innings against McNeese, win, then immediately lose to McNeese, then beat Baylor handily, beat McNeese. As we record, they beat UT Arlington earlier today. Right now they're playing UT Arlington, and the Mavericks have uh, have yet to put up a run. Neither of the Razorbacks. It's 0-0 in the bottom of the third. I mean, mixed bag. I, I was a little bit concerned that Autumn Storms didn't look great opening weekend, but Mary Half looks like she's pretty close to to being what she was a couple years ago. Yeah, Mary Half with uh, three victories in a 24-hour period. I saw that note out there. And also I saw where they had some just – hellacious travel issues as well getting to uh to McNeese for that tournament they had uh which which something that happened to Alabama a few years ago on the way to South Carolina had a tire blowout in their bus and then also uh, some of the main roads were actually closed because of the weather so they had to take back roads so it added like hours to the trip from from Fayetteville so then they had to play a 14 inning game so it's like I'm sure Everybody affiliated with Arkansas was really loving life at that point. Hearing that 
rundown. I might excuse the McNeese loss, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That's one of those, like, can we please just get there? Uh, My stance on Arkansas is still the same. Mm-hmm. You yeah. too? Yeah, it's all about, you know, Autumn Storms needs to be Autumn Storms, obviously. Uh, but if Mary Half is, is getting back to her old self, that one-two punch will be huge for, for the Razorbacks moving forward. All right, let's go to Knoxville. Tennessee, upset by Miami of Ohio. Quick shout-out to the Red Hawks. Probably should have beaten Mississippi State in week one. Yeah. This week they beat Tennessee 2-0 in week two and holding Tennessee to three hits in that game. Really impressive. So uh, maybe maybe a force to watch in the MAC this year. Take a look at the Red Hawks. But, <laughs> yeah, when we were when we talked about it last week, uh, the fact that they were came very close to beating Mississippi State in the first weekend and then to go on the on the road again to beat Tennessee and and had a lead in the other game that they lost too. Yeah, so Tennessee goes three and one on the weekend. They did play earlier today on this Monday and swept a doubleheader against Ohio pretty convincingly. But I think this is a good team. The offense, I, I could I could see a little more consistency from them. And that's kind of going to be a theme, I think, as we go through some of these squads. But Ashley Rogers Tom is still the SEC pitcher that scares me the most of anyone else. It could see that, but it, the the rest of the both the pitching rotation and the lineup still I'm still out on. I'm still the the uh the jury's still out. Yeah, you got to see it, right? Yeah. There, there's there's several teams in the SEC are that way. How do you feel about Florida? 6 and 0 this week, but uh they had to walk off Georgia Southern, Tom, and and it seems like Charlotte Eccles is the only bat they can trust right now. Kind of a, a struggle out of the gate, um kind of similar to the way Washington is playing out west, really kind of living on the edge against teams that they should be, you know, run rolling for <laughs> to be blunt. So, you would still kind of say, you know, cup, first couple of weeks Let's see how they do when they round in against really good competition. But the, the, there may be uh, something to worry about there that they're not just blowing out these teams they should be. Katie Cronister, SEC Pitcher of the Week this week, team ERA of .94. I think that tells me more about the competition they have played so far. Uh, we'll see how things go when things get a little tougher. And they do play Louisville, who's, you know – middle of the pack ACC team. Yeah. And then, you know, we saw Louisville uh, a couple of times in Tuscaloosa and Alabama uh, didn't allow them to score, but wasn't able to uh, run rule them either time either. So uh, if one of those Louisville pitchers is really on, maybe your girl, the D, the D2 uh, champion, maybe she can help things out. But uh, if one of those has a really good game, then, then maybe the Cardinals can push them over the edge. Like, uh, like Nevada was able to do to Washington. All right. Which enigma do you want to talk about? Kentucky or uh, or Georgia, your choice. We can go with Kentucky and poor North Carolina Central. My goodness. I think my line, yeah, here it is. Kentucky demolishes everyone is what I wrote. They outscored opponents in week two, just week two, 76 to 10. Whew. Their current season team batting average is 440. And they've got six players on the roster with at least 11 RBI. They took advantage of some of the competition, frankly. It's it's hard it's hard to put too much into that if they if they're able to continue that type of performance against some better competition, I'll I'll be more impressed, but uh still an enigma to me. Are you concerned at all about the storyline that dropped Sunday night? This was something that we saw when we were at Taco Mama after uh, you know, Alabama run ruled LSU. And yes, it, it was it was a story from our friend Marin Angus about 
pitcher Megan Shorman entering the transfer portal on Sunday. Now, this is second week of the year while the team is in a non-conference tournament on the road after she had pitched two innings against Samford opening weekend. I haven't seen an explanation. Apparently, Kentucky put out a statement that said they wish her the best, as all schools do. Kind of weird, though. Yeah, the the timing of that is very odd. Might have been something that happened during that weekend because those were such dominating wins. If she didn't pitch at all, she might have got a some sort of message from that. Uh, the only the thing I could think of, if it was something like that, or you never know. Again, you know, kind of like how we talked with Scott or Wallace th- these days. You know, we're we're in a crazy time. Things can happen. There there may not be anything to it, but yeah, th- there may be something to it. The other enigma is Georgia, I and mean, what the heck? They no hit Longwood and then lose to Longwood the next day. That Mary Wilson Avent. Oh yeah, I agree. Longwood got no hit by Mary Wilson Avent. They did nothing. They lost ten two, and then mm. win against Georgia. Concerning. A little bit, little bit. I mean, Georgia's doing a little bit better this year as far as their non-conference scheduling. The case in point, they're playing Oklahoma, but. Usually when they have these relatively weak non-conference schedules, they they run through them pretty easily. Uh, to lose a game to Longwood, I think, is a little bit concerning for sure. And it, it again brings up the question, what do they have when Mary Wilson Avant isn't pitching? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. That, that question has certainly not been answered through the first two weeks. There have only been two teams, Tom, who have appeared in the upset tracker in both week one and week two. That would be Florida State, through no fault of their own. They lost to Virginia Tech, who was ranked one spot lower than them. And Mm -hmm. Georgia, who lost to South Alabama at home opening weekend and lost to Longwood at home. And I think along with the pitching question around, you know, who else is there behind Avant, who scares you on the offense? I mean, Fincher is good. She's hitting well, 478 this year. Chambly, the freshman, you know, co-SEC freshman of the week in week one, but I haven't seen highlights yet. I haven't watched her enough to, to say whether or not she can be a terrifying batter throughout her career. There just isn't the Alyssa DiCarlo this season oh, yeah. or the Sierra yeah. Bryan that, that you really were worried about every time you played the dogs. Yeah. You thought somebody might emerge from that. No one has as of yet. So it's, they are still an enigma, but that I would be a little bit more. I'm a little more worried, obviously, of Georgia with them losing a couple than uh, Kentucky. They've just demolished everyone, although they, the the schedule hasn't been that difficult. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on as we advance the first here in the Out of the Box podcast to hashtag your team, Tom's pick, Mississippi State. Yes, not a yeah. uh, not a banner Sunday for your dogs, Tom. With noted shortstop Mia Davidson. I mean. Uh, why Samantha Ricketts could have given us a clue when we talked to her. Yeah, come on. Uh, yeah, that's surprising. And Mia not only playing shortstop, not hitting. If Mia Davidson isn't hitting, then I retract my bandwagon jumping onto Mississippi State. Uh, so they're going to need to, she's going to need to come around because my faith in them was based around the one two punch of, of Mia and Fala. More concerning to you. Mia Davidson's average, which entering today was 154. It's risen a bit here on this Monday because she had a home run and a couple hits against Mississippi Valley State. Mm -hmm. But Mia Davidson's average, which as it stood earlier today, was under 200. Or Emily Williams with an ERA currently of 5.88. Probably Emily Williams because, you know, we've seen it not, not because of the average. She's getting singles, but 
Bailey Hemphill is not hitting the home runs and, and the doubles that she normally does at this point. Uh, but I'm not worried that she's not going to eventually do that. I think Mia will do the same. You know, Emily Williams is, you know, she's been up and down in her career. Uh, she was having a really good season in 2020. We thought things were turned around. But if she's struggling out of the gate, and again, Mississippi State hasn't played high-quality competition as of yet either, That I think that's more concerning. All right, these last five teams, Auburn, Missouri, Texas A&M, South Carolina, Ole Miss. Auburn split with South Carolina, destroyed Jacksonville. South Carolina split with Auburn, destroyed Jacksonville. Texas A&M opened two and two. Couple close losses. One run loss to Colorado State. Two one loss to Texas Tech after a seventh inning error allowed two runs to score with two outs. Just ouch. Tough. That's oh man. Missouri lost to Iowa State. Then one three and and Ole Miss lost to Iowa State twice. Lost to Missouri. Anything about those teams stick out from this week? I, I think it was good to see Jazz Rollin back from Missouri this week. She didn't do much of anything, just two for eight. But, you know, I think those are all teams that kind of kept the status quo. I know we got to see A&M and South Carolina for the first time, but my opinions on both of those teams didn't really change much. Although, uh, as we'll talk about in a little bit, Haley Lee was amazing play yeah. for the Aggies. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I think not not Missouri, but the other ones are, you know, they're going to be toward the bottom of the league. And, and I think they're all kind of, seeing who's going to break out of that pack. Uh, I think Missouri is, is much better, is better than the other four. You know, the, I thought the wins in the first weekend, the the win over Florida state was really impressive. I think a lot of it, you can just chalk up to Iowa state's playing really well right now. Yeah. So, so they, you know, I don't think you can go too much into, you know, uh, having too much of an issue with that. So yeah, I, I don't know if we know a whole lot, it, you know, seeing South Carolina and, Ar- and Auburn kind of split, kind of about what I think because they're going to be around in that same area. Wasn't shocked. All right, big slate, Tom. Big slate for the SEC. Wednesday, Alabama's got a midweek. We talked about it. Fascinating matchup, though. Our friend Eric Lopez is going to have a big one in Orlando, Missouri, and UCF Wednesday mm. night. That's uh, that's interesting. Maybe some upset potential there. I think so. Those are kind of similar teams, too, to play each other in a midweek should be should be very interesting i'll be keeping track of that one during the the bama uab game thursday lsu louisiana uh, and lafayette they're they're not fans of each other by the no. way that will be they, a ull versus what is lsu what does louisiana say about lsu they have something too we'll uh we'll ask mark Hill. that's yeah that's the big thursday matchup and and then friday i mean you see the list right here tom i know that oklahoma state and lsu jump out they play twice but other than that what else do you like Texas Tech and Arkansas will be be interesting. And uh, Ole Miss and Baylor, just because, you know, Ole Miss has been so up and down. But when they're up, they, they're they capable. And Baylor's lost the game already this year, so that could be interesting. Uh, so those are the Friday ones. And noted uh, Florida rival, Illinois State, playing Tennessee. So that's always interesting. Yeah, Mac Leonard in the circle, I bet, against the Lady Vols. So good luck, Mac. Saturday, you know, as we talked about, Louisville, and Florida, Mississippi State, and Texas uh, get their first matchup there, and then one of the other matchups with Louisiana and LSU. I'm very, I'm going to be very interested to see what the Cajuns and the Tigers do this weekend in a, in a, a pretty good rivalry matchup. And then Mississippi State also gets to play Baylor, and there's Duke taking on South Carolina. Duke, a team that that beat uh, LSU the first weekend. Did they split with the uh, Notre Dame, or did they take two of th- two or three from Notre Dame? I believe they took two of three. 
Yeah, so they're they're very capable. Would not be at all shocked if Duke beat South Carolina as well. So I'm going to be keeping track of that Tulsa Texas A&M event Saturday and Sunday because Tulsa's sneaky. They're pretty good, and uh, we'll see what the Aggies look like. And then Sunday, it's the last game listed. I believe it's the last by time. Georgia, mm-hmm. Georgia Tech. Yeah, we saw Georgia Tech almost beat Florida State in the the game in Atlanta. They're one of those teams that's trying to break out from that lower to middle pack in the ACC. And obviously, and those are two teams that don't like each other either mm-hmm. <laughs> with Georgia and Georgia Tech. So a uh, big rivalry matchup. You know, you mentioned it, but Mississippi State, Texas has a lot of appeal on Saturday. Just a lot of games worth watching this weekend. Yeah. FGCL Player of the Week. Here we go. Last week, our winner, McKenzie Ball at Southern Utah. As you know, and as will be a, a, a tradition, I will pick the FGCL Player of the Week from the Florida Gulf Coast League. I did this summer. I don't need to explain it every time. But I did put some stipulations on myself. I can only pick six nominees, and then we're going to decide the winner together okay discussion on the podcast so your nominees are i feel like i'm announcing the uh, best picture choices (laughs) for the oscars from north texas molly rainey just kidding three of seven this week four rbi a home run a triple three walks three strikeouts two runs scored good weekend for molly rainey Mm -hmm. neely herring wichita state six of 11 six Mm -hmm. rbi home run four doubles a walk a strikeout and four runs scored. My girl Jenna Green from Presbyterian. She won a Big South Pitcher of the Week earlier today. 13 innings, three hits, one run it was earned, eight walks, and 25 strikeouts. A crisp ERA of .54. Jenny Jansen, she uh, she was a late bloomer. All of these stats came on Sunday, and her stats today unfortunately don't count because everything resets on Monday, at least in my opinion. I make up these mm-hmm. rules. <laughs> Jenny Jansen, three for eight this week, three RBI, a home run, a strikeout, a run scored, but all three RBI, Tom, against Mississippi State, including the RBI single in the top of the seventh that tied the game at five to help push it to extras to help Southern Illinois win. That's a, a strong case. So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Devin Flaherty at Florida State nominated again, our first repeat, six of 16, two RBI, a home run. Four walks, four strikeouts, five runs scored. You know, when you're one, two in a Florida State lineup, I think you're always going to have a chance to be on this list. Absolutely. And finally, Haley Lee, Texas A&M. Seven of 11, eight RBI, four home runs, all on Saturday, I believe. A double, two walks, six strikeouts. Some really good, really good performances here this week uh, from the FGCL. Uh, alumni i gotta tell you tom i to me it's down to jansen and lee i think that lee's numbers the raw numbers are staggering but jenny jansen pushed southern illinois to a victory in starkville over a top 25 team that you really like yeah i agree that's uh i i can't i can't give it to somebody that didn't hit four home runs if you hit four home runs in a, in a day or a game uh, i think you're gonna win it so i'm gonna go with Haley at 8 a.m yeah, it's I, I, my I vote. Give. You're the you're, you're the tiebreaker vote. So if you disagree, you you win. But I mean, I want to give it to Jenny Jansen. I feel like if today's stats had counted, but they don't. Maybe because I choose right. to. Maybe she gets yeah. it. But you know, credit to her. She would get it any other week. But Haley Lee started the year going three for three with three home runs. I mean, how do you ignore that? <laughs> exactly. Your winner is Haley Lee. Oh, fight farmers yeah. fight. Gig em. Whoop. You know, that's that's now two weeks. We've got a Southern 
Utah Thunderbird, and a Texas A&M Aggie winning FGCL Player of the Week. Ooh, I didn't know Southern Utah was a Thunderbirds. I like that nickname. That's I'm pretty one. sure that's right. That's, if, uh, that sounds in, correct. Yeah. If it's wrong, let me know on Twitter. Someone will. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> what? Someone would call somebody out on social media. That never happened. That's Gray's FGCL Corner. Tom, what's that over there? Do you see it? It's a sign. Yes. We, we are green light guys like one Sarah Cornell, the green light girl. That's right. Contorting our bodies, sliding around, dodging <laughs> tags and haters left and right. That's <laughs> what we do. That's how we roll here on this podcast. It's, <laughs> it's time to steal second. We've got Tara Henry coming up, former UCLA player from D1 Softball. Rachel Garcia got hurt. That was a big story in college softball. We're going to talk about that pretty immediately with Tara on the other side here on the Out of the Box podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Glad you're with us. Trey Robertson and Tom Canterbury here as always. And now it's time to steal second with another Bruin. We've got two straight weeks of UCLA Bruins joining us here on the podcast. And this time it is D1 softball writer Tara Henry joining us here as we steal second on the Out of the Box Podcast. Tara, welcome to the show. It has been too long since I've talked to you. It's the first time we've had you on the program. Oh, thanks for having me. I know that Bruin bubble just kind of takes over. I, I know two Bruins two weeks in a row. Um, what has it been, a day since we haven't talked, Gray? But um, yeah, just <laughs> excited, excited to be here and so happy that um, I, could, I could join you all. The Bruin bubble is like the, the one division hex. It just continues to expand. It's us all. <laughs> It'll do that to you. That's now, that's now three straight areas of media where Tom and I have brought up WandaVision in some capacity. <laughs> so an incredible start to this. <laughs> we are on the pulse of pop culture here at the Out of the Box podcast. Um, but, but I don't know where else to start except with UCLA, Tara, because while there were a lot of good games this weekend, you could argue the biggest story was the injury to Rachel Garcia. From what we heard, and I'm sure you know more, she was running out of ground ball. She beat out the throw and then left the game immediately, didn't pitch or didn't play the rest of the weekend. So what's her status right now? And also a question that we kind of thought about last night as we were assessing over the situation, could this be, could the potential be there for Team USA to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't have Rachel be playing in the 2021 college softball season? Uh, you know, I to be honest, I turned the game on in the bottom of the first because I was watching a few other games and I had gotten a text message saying what happened to Rachel and then realized that Megan was in the circle. I was just really surprised to see Faramo get the start. And yes, she was running down first base. I don't have a, an update for, for anybody just yet, but um, she was sitting in the stands smiling. Um, I'm sure they're going to take her in and check everything out, but you know, there is that potential that USA could say that, but I mean, if Rachel is allowed to play and she can play, I think she's going to play. Um, but as you saw, even without Rachel, um, they were tested. You said mm -hmm. it was tested. Cal State Fullerton, um, they came to play and it was just great to see Taylor Edwards, the red shirt freshman, um, come up clutch there um, and get the RBI. And, 
you know, there's depth and we've talked about, talked about death this or depth this entire um, season. And um, you can see that in UCLA and it's gonna be important all across the country um, in terms of um, how many you have at each position. It's amazing to say that even if something happened and UCLA didn't have Rachel Garcia, uh, they would probably be still the best team in the country, which is it's just unbelievable to, to if you lose somebody of that caliber and still be at that level. But if you don't have Rachel Garcia, does that kind of bring some other teams in the Pac-12 into the conversation? You know, I think so. You've got obviously Arizona, another powerhouse, Washington. They've had a, a, a tough kind of uh, go at it here. Uh, and then Arizona State, they just rake. I mean, they hit the ball. And, you know, Maddie Hackbarth, love her. Um, love the sass on Twitter by uh, Hackbarth. Love that. And, you know, I think it's going to be a dogfight. And we've talked about this. And, you know, they still haven't, we haven't seen Maya Brady yet as well. Uh, she's been out on COVID protocols. So don't forget, we haven't had Maya Brady in the, in the lineup. So I honestly don't think that the Bruins have put uh, the same lineup uh, into play at all. And I think they're still going to shuffle around. And um, hopefully um, once they get some the season uh, test, preseason test against Oregon uh, this weekend, we'll really see um, what's happening there uh, with the Bruins. Yeah, before we move on to Washington, Tara, I did want to ask about Oregon. You know, if Rachel Garcia is unavailable, did the Ducks get one? Maybe? I, I think it's possible that – Pitching staff has been really fun to watch. Uh, Diaz, uh, Yanez, uh, Samaria, and um, Dale, Reagan Breedlove, they've just, they've all thrown. And I do, I think Oregon maybe, maybe picks up one if they're that offense. To be honest, the offense needs to come up a little bit um, stronger. I think their highest batter, she's in the, the highest th in the threes, which is with that conference, pre conference schedule isn't too high but um yeah i think it's possible i think it's something that we're gonna see um this weekend it's a good test all right washington crazy opening weekend the lost in nevada this is something i've enjoyed watching them yeah tom tom never never has a, a quibble with a washington loss but <laughs> Tara, when we text during these weekends we're usually on the same page i think the one area where we are disagreeing right now is Washington. You don't seem to be super concerned. I'm out on them as a national championship contender right now. Could it be perhaps that the Huskies are somewhere in the middle after two weekends? Because it's clear that there are some obvious concerns, especially with the pitching. You know, what I, I love about this ongoing conversation is championships aren't won in February. And why I love Heather Tarr and what she does with the Huskies is because she puts them in uncomfortable positions in pre-conference play and conference play in order to prepare them uh, for regionals and super regionals. So yes, is it a concern that everybody else other than Gabby Plain has given up loads of runs, earned runs? Yes, I would think that's a huge concern. But all across the board, I would argue that the hitters are way ahead of the pitchers at this point, unless they're the elite elite. Um, of uh, the bunch. So I'm not as concerned with Washington because I love watching their defense. I do think they have all the tools and I think it just takes some time um, for that staff to, to develop. And of course um, they do a great job there every year. Another team at West that has been raking along with their rivals, Arizona state has been Arizona with the 11 home runs opening weekend. Uh, what have you seen from the Wildcats so far and 
uh, they're certainly in that national championship conversation. Absolutely. I think the one question mark was in the circle, but Bowen, um, she had a great performance this weekend and you've got um, Lopez and Denham and, you know, Taryn Moat, former All-American. I actually played with Taryn and she's just a competitor and I'm sure um, is going to have that staff ready. It's just, they're fun to watch. And even Alyssa Palomino Cordozo, I don't know if you guys saw one of her home runs this weekend, but just the sound, the, the pure sound off of her bat, it's really unlike anything else um, across the country. So they just, they hit, they hit well. They're, they've got a great coaching staff. Obviously they're well-coached and um, they're going to be contenders as well. Again, it's that pitching piece that's going to be the biggest question mark. We're stealing second with Tara Henry here on the Out of the Box podcast. Tara, I know you were tuning in to the action in Tuscaloosa this weekend. It was a, a big weekend for Alabama, as we've talked about a lot on the show already. What did the Crimson Tide show you in the games that you watched against a really good Liberty team and then a, a couple against the top 10 LSU squad? You know, Alabama, we had them ranked really high last year in preseason, and it didn't go so well, right? Um, and then this year we had them probably at eight and I think it is a completely different team. I don't know if it's the mentality. I'm not quite sure what Juju is happening in the dugout, but they're just so fun to watch. Um, Montana, she looks like she's back in, in, um, you know, her form that she was, you know, two years ago and then super impressed with your freshman and then Tao. I mean, and Alyssa Brown, I mean, I, I mean, the list can go on. I, that's, she's probably my favorite. I mean, are you kidding me with those perfect bunts and just the speed, the athleticism, and they just like, they look like they're having so much fun. And at the end of the day, I think that's what this sport is about. And normally if you're having fun, you're winning. So um, just uh, love watching the Crimson Tide and, um, you know, LSU, they've got some shoring up to do. Um, and I think this was probably a good thing for them, a, a kind of a, you know, they've had a few losses, tough ones, but um, I wouldn't count them out either. I, I think they've still got um, some growing to do. You mentioned the, the freshman Bailey Dowling for Alabama that the short played a, just an outstanding shortstop all weekend long too. And uh, considering that everyone has these expanded rosters this year, there's so much depth for her to be able to come in and, and step right in and be, uh, a main contributor on this team, I think it's pretty, pretty dang impressive. Yeah. I mean, especially when you have actual true freshmen on these squads coming in and starting and, and making big plays and, and being clutch at the plate. I, I mean, Murph has got to be just so happy um, having just a great mix of, of young talent um, and a veteran squad. So just, yeah, really impressed with uh, the Crimson Tide, and I, they're going to jump a few spots in our poll uh, this week. A uh, little, uh, little scoop, scoop on uh, the D1 football <laughs> poll. Uh, it'll be out probably by the time this goes, but yeah, they're jumping. Uh, I also like that you brought up LSU because you know we we cover the SEC a lot too. We talk a lot about the Tigers and. We've now seen two straight weekends where LSU pitching gave up a lot of hits and it doesn't get easier this week. They've got two games against Oklahoma state, two games against Louisiana. I was shocked at how poor some of the pitchers looked in the circle for LSU, because this was a staff that was really highly regarded coming in this season. So what's the fix? I mean, what, why isn't it working early for LSU and what's the fix for Beth Torino? You know, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but I would say, 
especially when you have defensive miscues, it's really tough for pitchers to get into a rhythm. Um, I think there's a, if you're not confident in in who's behind you uh, on defense um, and and unsure, it's harder for you to make those pitches that are closer. So they're just going to have to go back to work. And that staff is still, it's still an impressive staff. Um, and they have been tested and they've, they're, they're gone through the ringer a bit, but, um, you know, just go back to square one and, and it's, it's game by game. And as a pitching staff, I'm guessing they're, they're meeting today and tomorrow and really discussing on how they can get better, um, and keep the, that team in games because they are still, I do believe the most athletic team in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you make that many errors, um, it's just, you're not going to win games. So I'm just, I'm, I would like to see those defensive miscues, those errors go way down and that's going to breed confidence into your pitching stuff. Another team like UCLA that we talked about is Oklahoma, a team that has so much depth, so many great players, a team that last weekend uh, had several of those players out with COVID contract tracing, but still uh, run ruled Houston once and, you know, they, they can't Houston gave them a fight there, especially in the second game. Uh, do you see any issues with Oklahoma or how are they looking right now for you? Uh, no, I don't see any issues, even with the contract tracing. <laughs> um, you know, they're just uh, they look like uh, it's like David and Goliath. I don't know if you've seen you see them um, walk up to the plate. They just look strong. They hit the ball hard. Um, mm. You know, Grace Green, uh, Grace Lyons. Um, and then you've got all these freshmen, uh, Aloe, I mean, Kinsey, Hanson, they're, they're just impressive to watch. And you're right. Houston get, did give them a run for their money. I loved, um, I love coach Vess and, uh, her two bunts to start the game to put pressure on the defense. Uh, and then, you know, I've got a home run the next to go up three Oh, uh, mm-hmm. on the you know, number two team in the country, but, yeah, Patty Gasso, and, and she's really big on this team too, and, and Patty's not one to boast. So uh, I think they're scary good and easily could could get in that number one spot here um, throughout the season. Now, that being said, Oklahoma's finally got a test, Tara. Arizona State coming up this weekend. Could How, how do you think the Sooners are going to react? And, and could we see the Sun Devils with Hack Barth? And uh, one of the best names in the circle this year. Uh, could they pull off the upset? <laughs> you know, it's possible. I'm actually going to be out there um, in Tempe. So I'm going to actually get to see that game. It's one that I've circled. And um, that offense, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting to see if they throw G. I know Shani Sale, she had some innings. Our girl Shani Sale. Uh, Proud of her. <laughs> Shani Flame. Um, so it'll be... And Nicole May, you know, the freshman, she, she threw as well against Houston. It'll be interesting to see how they um, go against that Arizona off Arizona State offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Sun Devils uh, do like to hack, but um, it'll be a close one. I think it'll be a close one. It just is, again, uh, if Arizona State's pitching um, can uh, get through. Are we going to see like a 15-13 game? Because as we all know, the ball flies out west. These are two of the best power teams in the country. Oklahoma has 11,000 home runs already this year. Uh, what's Is it a name your score kind of night? I think it's like an 8-9 or a, a, a 10-15. I think it's one of those games that goes back and forth. And, 
maybe there's a run rule in one inning on one side and then it goes flips back on the other side, you know, those crazy contests. Um, so I think a lot of runs are going to be scored and you're right. The, the ball does fly out there. Um, so just a fun one. That's that everyone should be uh, watching. I believe that one's on the pac 12 network. I'll have to check for y'all. No, good, good luck finding that. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, not, not to, uh, not to horn in on what you're uh, out of the uh, off the ball is going to be coming up here in just a few minutes. But uh, as we talk about uh, about some of the upsets that have been gone on so far here in the first couple of weeks, not as many as last year, obviously, but there has been 16 upsets and a lot of them have seen the SEC be on the wrong side of them. Uh, does this worry you as far as maybe the, the league as a whole maybe is, is a little bit more vulnerable this year? Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think, you know, it's really surprising that there are so many upsets and so many in the SEC. Um, you know, the big 12 is starting to get stronger. The ACC is starting to get stronger. Um, so it, it, it's still early. And I think everybody's got to remember we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Certain teams have had certain practice times. Certain teams have been on different COVID protocols that haven't actually been on the field. Others have been practicing the entire time. So people are just in different um, places and I think that's okay. And we've got to play the season out a bit until we can actually make um, kind of an educated um, assumption about that because it's still super, super early. But, um, you know, the Big 12 and the ACC, um, they're getting stronger and PAC's always strong as well. But um, I think that's, it's only time will tell. You mentioned the ACC and, you know, two of the upsets, quote unquote, because we use because we could go back a couple of years to ESPN rankings to track this. And Virginia Tech at 15 over Florida State at 14 is technically an upset. So the Hokies win that series. They now seem to be in control of the ACC, even though they dropped a game earlier this week to Clemson as well. And Keely Rochard is just dealing. I mean, Florida State couldn't touch her in game three. Could the Hokies be for real? I mean, we've seen in the past there have been those teams, even with the one arm that will have to carry them through the tournament, make a run to OKC. Is is Virginia Tech maybe that team that could go on a special tear this postseason? You know, I think so. And I uh, spoke to Coach Shamor in the fall, and he was pretty excited about this team. And is it Rosenberry, the other uh, mm-hmm. their other thrower? She she did a, she had a great weekend as well, and really like Fagan at short, the last of the Fagan sisters. Um, and then Chavez, she homered in four straight games. So yes, do I do think they're for real? Yes. And I've been big on Virginia Tech and arguing for them to go, you know, a little bit higher in our polls. Um, so after that first week, I was, you know, a little tough for me, but after the this series <laughs> win over um, Florida State, I, I would keep an eye on them. And Keeley, anytime Keeley's in the circle, uh, they've got a shot against anybody because um, she is she's impressive. Big Ten opening up play this weekend in uh, Florida and their bubble, uh, but they're still going to be conference only uh, throughout this entire year. Uh, how do you think that that hurts them maybe uh, moving forward this season or maybe helps them? I don't know. You know, it can go both ways. I don't know. Personally, I think it's tough when you don't have any out of conference games just in terms of your RPI and in terms of rankings and it's going to be tough playing those teams so many times. I mean, we've already seen it in this ACC pod challenge. 
I, I turned on the TV again and I thought, wait a second, Duke's playing Notre Dame again. Um, it, it's just, it, it seems like it's going to be, it's going to be a mental challenge, I think, for some of these players to really um, go after hitters and then pitchers, um, hitters go after pitchers. So it's tough. I, I, I think once NCAA, um, the commission gets together, I think it's, it's going to be tougher to put them higher um, in terms of the RPI because they're just going to be beaten up on one another. Um, but hey, you know what? They get to play some softball. So at the end of the day, I'd be sure. super happy if I was on one of those Big Ten teams because, um, you know, of course, the Ivy League, those kids can't play. So mm-hmm. um, take everything uh, with a grain of salt and, and just be happy that you can get back on the field. I can't help but laugh at your comment about the ACC. You're right. I feel like Louisville and, and uh, Virginia played like eight times this weekend. <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, you know, Tara, as we as we still second with you on the podcast, we've got a segment. It's very popular. The fans like it. Fans of softball, not of us. And it's called Off the Wall. And it's where we talk about the crazy, stupid, insane comments that we see on social media. And you got in on it a little bit this week in your own version. I'm going to read the tweet to the salty softball viewers. Five bullet points here. Still in a global pandemic, the fact we have softball on TV is a feat in itself. Schedules change hourly. Schools are producing games with one school play-by-play and analysts. Uh, One camera is better than none. And smile, it's softball season. Tara, we've never let a guest really go off. Caleb Rowe kind of did one time last year, but this is this is your chance for a true off the wall. Address the tweet, Tara. Talk uh, about the craziness. Well, there's a, I mean, there's actually a couple reasons that that tweet went out, and it, it's it's not one fan base; it's literally everywhere. And I think what people don't understand is that because we are still in a global pandemic, um, you know, they think ESPN is producing all these games, and you guys both know that. It's schools producing the games um, and it's just rolling up your sleeves and, you know, just getting it done. And the complaints on Twitter about analysts and how and what they're saying, you know, give them a break. It's softball season. Be happy softballs on TV. And then the complaints about the live stream not working. Yes, we know. There's sometimes bad internet. Do you think people aren't trying everything in their power to get it back on so that you can see your daughter or your favorite player or your favorite team? They know. So I just wish people had a little bit more grace in terms of uh, being able to view games because back in the day, it was just stats, if that. Um, The fact that we have so many games on TV, we are so spoiled. uh, And I just... I, I wish people would take that into perspective and not go straight to Twitter and start complaining. Uh, and instead maybe pick up the phone and call. I mean, if anybody wants to call and talk to me about it, I'm more than help, happy to you know, take, take a call um, because at the end of the day, we should all just be really, really happy and fortunate that softball is back and we have it live streamed and we have it on television and we have it on ESPN plus. Um, and so many different outlets and schools have their own live streams and they're doing their best. So I just wish everyone would just be a little bit more positive about the fact that softball season is back. I, I was so glad to hear just somebody else say that, cause that's what we've been screaming for so long. You know, it wasn't that long ago is literally 
four or five years ago, you would be lucky to get a few games to be seen on streaming or on regular TV to begin with. Uh, and there is more to it than just setting up a camera and touching play. Like there's, there's different people, there's control rooms, there's rights holdings. There's a lot to do with it. So there's a lot more to it than just setting it, setting up a camera and going Facebook live. There's, there's, there's so much more you have to do. And uh, yeah, I'm so, I'm totally with you. So we are so spoiled about being able to watch pretty much any game that if God forbid one happens because it's a late last minute add to the schedule and because of COVID you can't get into a control room. So we're not going to carry this one. You're just going to have to listen to the radio. Um, and there's, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth over it. It's just very frustrating. Yeah. I and mean, I would have loved to see North Texas, Texas or North Texas, Oklahoma state. Those were, sure. those were games I would have loved to see, but you know what? They had to move move games and move um, times, and that's what people need to understand. It's not going to be always available. And um, just really thankful to you all for bringing us coverage. Um, and it's just even if we can't have uh, any live stream, it's great to hear what's happening in the game because you guys paint that picture so well. Um, so just happy and and really thankful for what you all do as well. Well, thank you, Tara. That means a lot. And uh, just to kind of put a button on this, um, I think that I've also seen a lot of complaints, not only about uh, the games not being streamed, but also games not being on flat out ESPN and SEC network. And my favorite comment is the SEC network should show all the Alabama games. And sure, I'd love that. However, there are 13 other schools in the SEC, 12 of which play softball. And on ESPN, there are hundreds of other softball teams trying to play. And I, I, I just, I kind of and, can't and get over others, how unrealistic some people are. And there are other sports going on right now too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few of them that no, aren't normally going on right now because they had to move some of their, again, global pandemic. We've had to move some stuff around. Uh, so there, it's like, let's, let's everyone be a little bit realistic about what can be covered at every, any one specific time. And be thankful that you all have fans that can actually go to the games. Uh, right. Because out here, there's no fans uh, allowed in stadiums. So again, take, you know, be happy for what you've got, not for what you wish you had. That's Tara's off the wall about the Love salty it. softball viewers. Tara, you fit right in. That was nicely done. <laughs> As somebody had to say it, you know, I think everybody was thinking it and somebody just had to say it. And um, that's I why we have this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's Tara Henry from D1 Softball stealing second with us here on the Out of the Box podcast. Tara, long time coming. I'm, I'm so glad we got to do this. Thanks so much for hopping on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me anytime. Um, hopefully we can have you jump on our D1 Softball podcast as well. That would be fun. We could do that. would be uh, great. Yeah, get on there as well. So um, best of luck. Thanks for having me. So that's our, our friend Tara Henry. Tom, I'm so glad that you finally got to chat with her. She was a person that I got to know a lot this summer. We did a lot of Zooms and YouTube videos for the FGCL. I text her constantly during these <laughs> softball games. And I love, first of all, that we just had somebody on the podcast who covers softball, not for a team and not for ESPN and, uh, and not for in the circle. I mean, it shows just how much coverage has grown the last couple of years. We didn't even talk to Tara about Graham Hayes coming on to a D1 softball staff, one of the best writers for women's sports in the country, a huge get for them. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that's huge. And it's just great to see again the 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 coverage bubble for uh, for all of college softball just continue to grow. And that's what's going to happen because the sport deserves it. And it's going as it continues to get more eyes on it. There's going to be more demand for coverage. We've got another <laughs> guest coming up, Tom. This is a Looking guest. Forward to it. Yeah, I, I talk with on the TV. You've talked about on the radio for many, many years. Sydney <laughs> Little John Watkins will be joining us next. Yes, had an opportunity to call both the perfect game she threw for the University of Alabama. She threw the only perfect game that actually happened at Rhodes Stadium for Alabama. Yeah. No 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 that fact there. Uh but yeah, very very excited to talk with Sydney and as as I mentioned on the broadcast on Sunday and she uh retweeted and said yes indeed she will have all the thoughts. So yes, I'm very excited and excited to hear from her. We're going to get to all those thoughts right now as we round third here on the Out of the Box podcast. When we come back, Sydney Little John Watkins is back on Out of the Box. We'll see you in a second. Welcome back to the Out of the Box podcast. Here, rounding third, we've got another guest. We just talked to Tara Henry. We got the national scope. Now let's focus a little bit more on what's going on in T-Town and around the SEC with our friend, my TV partner, former Alabama pitcher and All-American, the perfect game thrower against Ole Miss, Sydney Little John Watkins joining us here now. Hello, Sid. Welcome in. Hello. 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 How are y'all doing? We're good. We, uh, we enjoyed this past weekend. I'm sure you did as well. <laughs> I was thriving. I was thriving in every moment. I loved it. Yeah, you said perfect game against Ole Miss. You also had another one against Eastern Kentucky. Two-time perfect True. game thrower, Sydney Little John. I yes, appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, I was there for both of them. <laughs> <laughs> See, I I think that's on your graphic, right, Sid? On your uh, on your biographic for the network when you're on camera, it says uh, Sydney Little John Watkins, All American, two perfect games in Alabama history. I think so. I think so. It's either two perfect games or first in Alabama Stadium. It's one of those. I can't remember which one. Yeah, it's the uh, still the only one that happened at the Rhodes House. Everybody else has been either on the road or at a at a neutral site. You know, I got to hold my ground somewhere. They're not going to get <laughs> that easy. <laughs> That's why you're on the wall. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, Sid, we go to you for all the pitching notes, and you know, you know your stuff. Um, I know you were watching the LSU games for sure, but I think you were tuning in for all four games this weekend. And I'm curious your thoughts on the overall pitching performance. You know, a lot of people were talking about a quote unquote Montana Fouts struggle on Sunday, even though she just gave up four hits. Problem is two of them were really hard hit balls over the fence and then Kilfoyle on fire against LSU. Uh, I'm, I'm just wondering what you think of the staff as a whole and how they look with so many arms in the circle available this year. So one on the four hits for Montana on Sunday, um, if I ever had a game where there was only four hits, I was very proud of myself. So <laughs> if they think that that is, I guess, not up to par against a very strong lineup in an SEC team, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's pushing the limits a little bit, a little, we need to lower our expectations just a little bit. I think LSU is one of those teams that's going to be very high in the conference, if not leading the conference in home runs. I mean, they have a super strong lineup and pretty much everybody in that lineup is capable of hitting home runs. So, you know, 
again, holding them to only four hits. And two, with how the wind was on Sunday, you know, roads can be weird sometimes and the ball just really flies. And I think we saw a little bit of that. Um, So I think that Montana did great. I think that Lexi did great based on both of their performances and Sarah's and, you know, just everybody in the pitching circle. I thought that there was an element of growth, even from last year to this year. I definitely see some improvements just in mentality and really the presence that they're carrying and their composure. And I mean, I like what I see. What about on the, uh, on the other side with offensive, it was a, a tremendous weekend, especially for a couple of players, most notably SEC player of the week, Kaylee Tao. And uh, it was, it's been great to see the rest of the lineup uh, do a great job of protecting Bailey Hemphill and then picking her up if she's not on base. Yes, agreed. I mean, I think our lineup is very complete, and I feel sorry for Coach Murphy at times, but I really don't. Um, but I do in the fact that <laughs> he has so much great talent to choose from, and you know, I'm so happy and so proud for Kaylee Tao. I know people have been on her about, you know, are you struggling? Are you in a slump? Are you not? Well, evidently she is not, <laughs> and it shows, and I think that, you know, even her presence in the box, and I'm speaking a lot about presence, but you know, she looks like she's in there with intent to do damage and I am happy for her and proud of her and excited to see what else that she does this season. I mean, if she keeps riding that train, there's no telling where we're going to end up. And then you have Bailey Dowling, a freshman really stepping up. And um, only unfortunate thing for her this weekend was whenever she didn't realize that that was the runs to win, <laughs> to run rule LSU. Um, but you know, it happens <laughs> to us all, you know, we all have our LSU moments. I fell coming out of the dugout on that game. So, you know, we all have it. <laughs> that you know I'm just really excited for this team they seem like they're meshing well and it just doesn't seem like there's pressure on them as there was last year and I don't know if that's due to the rankings I mean you know we started out number eight again this year which you know I was like okay you know we can all say the committee hates us for that reason but you know I like to put a little spin on it I think that they were meeting and we're like you know what we like Alabama, but we're not going to put them at first because that didn't work out well. But we know they like the number eight, so let's put them at eight and just see what. <laughs> you know, we can we can play that card. But I think the team is meshing well. They look like they're having a lot of fun, which I think this is a year we're going to see that from a lot of teams. I mean, how could you not have fun? I mean, I really think they're going to take to heart. You know, playing. You don't know if your next game is guaranteed, so you have to play with that all-out intensity. And I think they're rocking it. It, it's okay she didn't realize the game was over. I don't think anyone realized the game was over. My I, my call at the end of the game is literally, guys, the game's over. Yes, I was like, game. yes, Tom, tell them. <laughs> They're all just standing there. It's like, it's over, it's eight, that's it. And then lots of confusion afterwards. The LSU Facebook page, something along the lines of, why did they call the game early? And a couple articles that we read, and it's, you know, this isn't a new rule, folks. <laughs> yeah eight every game five inning eight runs mercy rule yeah. it's it's there maybe people just want to see more game they're just so happy to see the college softball games and they're like hey wait sure. no. <laughs> no. don't stop playing <laughs> <laughs> but said i'm glad you brought up bailey dowling because i had a little talk with emily p tech and she said something that i'm kind of buying into she uh she said bailey dowling might be the most exciting player alabama's had since Haley mcclenny now that's high praise she has played two weekends, but I get it. Do you kind of see the similarities there? 
I do, but I think in, I don't know in what reference that Emily Pitek was making, but I think for me, what I see, and I haven't had a chance to personally talk to her. Um, she will talk to me soon. I'm going to, I'm going to get in there, <laughs> but um, I think what I see from her, evidently she's a spark, you know, and she doesn't, I mean, LSU is one of the highest pressure situations that you can be in and she thrived. So I think that that is a great showing on her and that obviously, you know, she has a lot of experience. She brings a lot of experience to the table. She played a couple summers ago with some of our girls with the team USA. And so that adds another layer of that. So the SEC it's scary to everybody, but maybe not as much because she's seen these players before. She's been around them. And then, too, I think she brings an element of competition to the team. Uh, I think all the whole freshman class, the true freshmen, I think that they all do. You know, they because of them, our team is going to be so much better. And, you know, I know that a lot of people can get upset with the bigger teams, the bigger rosters, but – you, you have to turn that around. You have to look at it from the aspect of, okay, even if I'm, a, if I'm Bailey Dowling as a true freshman, I'm going in there and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give my best shot because if I do, it makes me better for whenever my time comes. It makes the team better. And I can put full 100% trust in whoever is out there starting over me. And I think she really brings that element. I mean, obviously she was starting this weekend. So, but whenever we get into SEC play, whenever there's more of a, a true lineup, I guess that we can maybe guess every other game, <laughs> you know, she brings that element of, okay, you know what, if you're going to beat me out, you're going to be the best one out there. And that's what I see from her. One of the most amazing stats from this weekend in the final game, Alabama scored all 13 runs with two outs. Uh, I know that it's, it's, it's one of those things that you talk about a lot. A, it's a coaching point just because there's two outs doesn't mean the inning's over. You got to keep on going, but what do you think? It, what does it say about this team that they were able to score all those runs with two outs? I didn't even realize that. So um, that's amazing. I know as a pitcher, if I was a pitcher for the other team, I would hate that because you're <laughs> like, come on, just one more. Yeah. But, you know, that, shows that whenever their backs against the wall they're they're here to compete and they don't care if there's zero outs or two outs I mean I don't know what y'all saw y'all were closer to the action than I was but I never saw the energy go down for this mm -hmm. team whether there was zero outs or two outs and I mean that can be a really big factor if you're down and you have nobody on and two outs you're like man you know we have a lot to do to get these runs but they never showed that they had intent with every single one of their swings they looked determined and it was almost as if the more outs there were the more determined they were to be like okay this inning's not going to be over we're going to extend the inning we're going to give our pitchers a break you know we're going to do what we can to fight whether it's a quality at bat a long at bat fouling off 10 pitches so that the next batter can get a good look at whoever's pitching you know I saw a lot of that from them and to see that this early in the season is super exciting Sid, I like something that you just mentioned. I want to kind of expand on it because after the game, and if you look at the Alabama softball Twitter, you can see it, but there were a bunch of tweets from the team talking about how much they love their teammates and how much they love the program. And this might be revisionist history perhaps, but I was thinking back to the Washington game last year. And even after that game, an 8 nothing run rule over Washington, I don't think we had nearly as many tweets and social media posts from – 
the teammates and the players talking about how much they loved that squad. Is this year, or what does that, I guess I'll amend my question to this. What does that tell you about this year's squad? That tells me that they have all gone through something that has bonded them um, in a way that they're unbreakable. And I mean, think about it. Think about the past year. We all know what went on. We, I mean, Gray, me and you had our own like four week depression of softball being over. It was a very upsetting time, but I can't imagine going through that and the stress of being a senior and being like, is that the last time I put on the uniform? And it's not even, you know, it's not even an injury that ended my season. It's something that is completely out of my control. Never imagined, never thought of. And then it was just gone in a poof. It was gone. I mean, I remember getting the text, the game's canceled. And I was like, what? My heart, it's, it's gone. <laughs> you it was know? the worst day ever. That was it awful. really was. It's, everything just stood still. And, you know, to go through that and then to come back and then even the freshmen coming in, freshmen always bring good, clean, fresh energy and a different look, a different perspective and a new personality. You know, you, you know, the freshmen are always the new kid on the block. They're always, you know, you look at them and be like, oh, you're too hyper. You'll mellow out in a few years. It's fine. <laughs> Not always, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they're bringing that great energy. And then you have this whole team that just went through this terrible, I mean, I would even say tragedy. I know it would have been tragedy, a tragic event to me to have my season canceled. So you bring that and then you bring just at home. And I know Coach Murphy and – Allison Habits and Steph and all the coaches have just been preaching girls do what you need to do, but be sure that you're having fun, really take in the moment, be where your feet are, enjoy this time with your teammates. And I think they're taking that to heart. And, you know, last year coming in with such high expectations, like it's a privilege, you know, to, to be that high and to have that target on your back and it is earned, but it's also another pressure and even the number one teams this year, whoever goes in that number one spot, I don't think that they should have that pressure on them because this is a year that we are all just thankful that there is college softball going on. And so I don't think we're going to see that element of that amount of pressure on the number one team, because all those girls really just want to get out there and they just want to have fun and they just want to be with their teammates because that is the best experience that any person could ask for. And, and really how much pressure could be on UCLA when they have all the All-Americans and Olympians and everything well, else? You know, I, I mean, anytime they're like, oh, pressure, I'm like, oh, boo. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. yeah, come on. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, They'll win anyway. You're right, yeah. yeah. So, uh, with, uh, wanted to get your thoughts on how Patrick Murphy kind of puts together a, uh, a pitching rotation. He has a very deep one this year. Um, do you think that he is going to really try to define different spots or is it just going to be a game to game space uh, basis for him? Well, you know, Tom, you asked me this question and I think back to even my senior year where me and Alexis were taking bets an hour before the game, like, Hey, who do you think is going to pitch? Is it going to be me? Is it going to be you? Who do we think? <laughs> right. So, you know, I don't know. I do think, if I am even trying to like get in his mind and see what he's doing, I do think there will be some element of a consistency. Um, you know, he's, he's a creature of habit. He likes consistency. We all do. Mm -hmm. And if Montana and Lexi, if they keep doing what they're doing and they earn those 
earn those spots, then they earn them. And he's one of those, if you earn that spot, he's going to give it to you. So I do think we will see starters and certain people going in certain games. But I think what he's salivating over is no matter what lineup he's facing, he has all of these different pitchers and all of these different tools to go through. I mean, you're not going to get to a point at the end of the season where you're like, wow, all of our pitchers are tired. I mean, yes, they're going to be tired, even just from warming up every game, even if they don't pitch, but they won't have that mental fatigue as much. And so I think that's a huge plus for Alabama. And I also think that you know, this could be a year where he plays he, – he likes to play with a closer role. I remember my freshman year, like I was Jackie's closer pretty much. He would send me – Mariano Rivera tweets and videos all the time. He's like, the closer, you know, this is the mentality <laughs> we're going for. And so if you pick somebody for that role, which I think any of the pitchers could go in that role very well. I mean, we've seen Sarah do it and she really takes on that mentality. Well, we've seen Crystal do it. And then even the newbies, Jada and Alex, if they go in and do it, you know, anybody can develop into that role. Uh, it's just depending on who's ready for it. And I think, Steph has done a good job on getting all these pitchers ready to get to be put in those opportunities. And then we could also see, you know, it's no secret. I struggled against lefties. If there's a pitcher that struggled against lefties, then they won't pitch against the lefties. He could be doing a flip-flop situation. And I think it's also a good tool that he has a couple pitchers that can hit for themselves. So that way if he is having to flip and flop them in and out of the circle, then he can leave one in there to hit, you know, so that way it doesn't burn anybody too. So I think, I wouldn't be able to do it, but that's also why I'm not a coach. I don't have to pick and choose these things. I just get to complain about it and put in my opinion. <laughs> so I'm still upset you didn't get to hit in that Kentucky game. I've said still no, bothers me. I will forever be bitter. <sighs> and I saw Kelsey Nunley not too long ago, and I told her, I was like, Kelsey, you may have wanted to throw at me. I don't know what your plan was. I just hope you know, like, I was a little scared that you were going to go for my hands Said, but I just really wanted to hit, and I was really hoping you were going to throw some type of change up and just let me put it in play. That's all I wanted. She was like, you know, I was like, wow. She told me, she was like, I didn't even know that you hit. And I was like, I did it. That's the fun <laughs> part. So. Oh, gosh. We're uh, we're rounding third with Sydney Little John Watkins. And Sid, I, I think the overall theme of this conversation has been optimism for the Alabama team this year. And, and, as I was riding off after the game, big smile on my face, music up loud. I see Allison Habits out by her car. I pull over and she walks up and she says, man, this feels great. And talks about beating LSU. And then about 30 seconds later, she says, 2019 vibes, 2019 vibes. Do you, do you feel the same thing Sid, about this team? I do. Yeah. And obviously it's, it's different because each team is different, but from an outsider's perspective, I see the same level of excitement in this team. Again, these girls don't look like they're playing with pressure. They are just playing with pure joy and excitement, and they're wanting to be out there. They are celebrating all of the little things, you know, even if somebody gets a single, you know, in a situation where there's two outs, nobody on base, a single that was acute ball hit I mean they're in the duck losing their minds over it and that's fun to see that's what you want to see and so they're celebrating everybody on that team and that's what we saw in 2019 and I'm excited I'm along for the ride I am very excited 
That being said, though, uh, championships aren't handed out in the second week of February. How important is it for the team to, you know, remain focused and looking at the next thing on on the list and not just celebrate? Yeah, this was a great weekend, uh, but there's a lot more to come. And I think that's where the coaches will step in. They're very good about keeping the girls humble. Um, don't get me wrong. Everybody deserves to celebrate an LSU win. And I'm sure today sure. being an off day, they absolutely took it in. I know I did. But, yeah, I know they're going to come to practice tomorrow. Allie's going to have 48 hours of film already watched getting ready for the UAB game on Wednesday. And, you know, UAB is no no easy feat. They always give Alabama a great game, and it's always a great competition. And I think the girls are going to do a good job of that because of the people they have in front of them and the coaches that they have. The seniors, they know you can't get too high. You can't get too low either, though. You, know, you have to keep that consistent mindset, always ready to put in the work, and – as Coach Murphy says, the best way to respect somebody is to kick their booty. And so I think that's going to be the mentality going against every team. You know, not – does it matter if it's what, – what is the team? Dixie? What is Dixie it? State. Dixie State. Dixie State. Does it matter if it's Dixie State? Does it matter if it's UCLA? The best way to respect a team is to play your hardest and to, you know, kick their butt. And – I think that's a mentality that they're going to carry throughout the rest of the, team, the season because it's working. So why would you not? I like that we worked in a Dixie State reference as well. Another unofficial out-of-the-box podcast team. <laughs> Sid, before we let you go, you know, I know we're just beginning our research for TV this week. We've got uh, conversations with UAB tomorrow for the Wednesday game, and then you and I are, are together for Saturday with North Carolina and Sunday against Troy. You know, it's not top 10 competition, but like you said, these aren't easy squads. UAB really just played tough against Louisiana last weekend. North Carolina beat Alabama once in 2020. They've got talent. And Troy, I mean, they were, I think, in the 20s in the RPI in, in 2020 when that was first uh, first released. So I'm curious what you're expecting to see from the team in these matchups coming up this week because you know, we have to keep in mind, after four games the last two weeks, now you've got six in a six-day span. So the ante is up just a bit for the team. And I think with that amount of games, I definitely think that we're going to see some crazy lineups that none of us would have expected. That's the fun part, though, right? And I think people are going to get opportunities to see you know, what they're made of. And I think there will be some pressure situations where – new people are put in that we haven't seen and you know we're going to see how they handle those situations and that everybody knows that these games are preparing us for what's ahead and again too I think just the fact of everybody being excited to be outside and be on the field there's not going to be an element of like okay guys we have to make sure that we're we're getting up for this game I think the energy is already going to be there well, I agree, and I'm I'm really excited to work with you again on Wednesday, and and to be I, again, we don't really know what the setup's going to be. We just know we're at we're at Bryant Denny broadcasting there, just because of how COVID protocols are. But it's going to be exciting, and um, yeah, I mean, like you said, we we're ready to roll. It's going to be a fun ride, and we're all ready to buckle in. Yes, I can't wait to just word vomit on on the set and be like, great, great, tell me what to say. I don't know what to say. <laughs> 
but I you, think I, I'm definitely excited for it. It's going to be a fun ride. Uh, positive vibes for 2021. And I think it's going to be. It can only get better. I mean, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying. Y'all just leaving me by myself at the, in the press box at Rhodes, but interesting to note, I think you'll be happy to know the, uh, the notes that you had taped up on the, on the window for the Arkansas series in 2020 still up there. They're still Aww. there. Yeah. I'm so happy, but also so sad. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a weird feeling, but yeah. Yeah, one of them has taken on the color of the Declaration of Independence. It looks like it's so old. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't need any more age put on to me. I already feel <laughs> so. Tom, while you're there, check the back, see if there's a treasure map, and we'll uh we'll <laughs> hold down the fort of Brian Denny. <laughs> we'll call Nicholas Cage, and we'll go for it. Don't there good. we go. But does. <laughs> I'll bring my hiking boots. I'm ready. <laughs> National Treasure Three Road to Treasure. Spell road like roads, and there we go. That's that's how we do it. Big yeah. Bang Bog on HBO Max coming to, coming soon. Uh, that's how we round third with Sydney Little John Watkins. Sid, I'm excited to see you this week. Thanks so much for hopping on. Yes, thank you all so much. It was great talking to you. So that's Sydney Little John Watkins, my TV partner. And now, Tom, it is time to head home. So much happening. You know that Sid was a good pitcher, but you know who else is really good? Uh, that would be one Montana Fouts. Very true. Very true. <laughs> and we're going to spin this heading home segment, giving our top five Montana Fouts pitching performances, plus a couple of non-SEC games to watch. And also, oh, yes, off the wall. <laughs> I want I want to come home with the gusto that Bailey Hemphill had coming home from first base on a bases-clearing double. Softballs everywhere, Alabama players limboing under LSU catchers, chaos <laughs> all around. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 what we do, and that is off the wall. I think that's I think that's a perfect segue. Well, that's how we do it. It's time to head home here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Stick around, we'll be right back. setting closing time on the radio the weekend is coming soon and we're two weeks down tom week three is going to be here before we know it it's already going there's monday softball that will count towards week three statistics (laughs) very similar to i think the uh the college football season where it seems like it takes forever to get here and then once it's here it goes by so quick and softball is kind of the same way we had an extended length of time in between seasons this year so it was a long time getting here but uh now after you know as i mentioned before you know there were so many cancellations the first week because of uh because of weather this weekend this past weekend it really felt like college softball was really going full bore with everybody finally getting to play some so uh, it'll even feel more so this week when the big 10 and some other schools get in for the first time so uh it's it's really going at full speed at this point Absolutely. And we've got a, we've got a lot to talk about here on the heading home segment. Before we get to that though, let's remind you of what we've done so far. We started at the plate, talked about Alabama. We advanced to first, talked about the SEC. I gave out our second FGCL player of the week honors and listed all the nominees as well. And then, then we stole second with Tara Henry from D1 softball. We rounded third with the person you just heard, Sydney Little John Watkins. And now we head home with, I think a new thing we're going to do, Tom, before you know, we get to Tom's Hungry and we get to picks, which we really won't start until conference play starts. 
I want to do different kinds of top fives because power rankings, you know, they are what they are. I mean, we think we know who the top two or three best teams are in the league. And behind that, you can just plug and play if you want. There's only so many times I could make the South Carolina people mad. Yeah. So (laughs) do some other things. I mean, we don't want to be censored from using the word enigma that much (laughs) talking about Kentucky and Georgia, as we've already discussed. So we're going to do new kinds of top fives every heading home segment. And today it's our top five Montana Fouts pitching performances. Now Hmm. this came about because against Liberty, she broke her previous career high of 12 strikeouts with 13 against the Lady Flames. And I made the comment that I stand by that while she pitched great, I still wouldn't place it in her top five of pitching performances. You said it might be near the top, might be around the top five. Not sure if it would be exactly in that top five. And I said, well, let's talk about it on the podcast. And now here we are. We'll go five through one. Would you like to go first or would you like me to go first? I'll I'll defer. You can go first. All right. That means you, that means you're going first on off the wall. So keep that in mind. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. My number five is going to be actually a different 2021 pitching performance. Hmm. It was her performance against Louisville opening weekend, seven innings, one hit, a dribbler up the middle, no runs, one walk, 11 strikeouts. And I think what impressed me most 83 pitches. And I think, 58 strikes, something like that. She was very efficient. It was one of the stronger, not messing around performances I had seen in a long time from Fouts. And to do it against a Louisville team that's pretty good, you know, they're not going to win the ACC. They might make the tournament. I think they have a shot, but they have to start winning more of their ACC pod play games if they want to have a chance. I just think she looked really good. I think she looked like old Montana, and I think it was a good sign for the rest of this year. I had to put in something not 2019 in this list and i figured that this was the pitching performance that while it wasn't a career high in strikeouts it wasn't a perfect game i think it impressed me the most just overall so my number five is this year against louisville my first my number five is going to be it's only number five because she didn't get the complete game doing it but i think you know she's only been a part of one perfect game in her career uh so i'm gonna put the performance against alabama state for Montana Fouts in at number five. Again, it results in a perfect game. She could she only pitched four innings, but she could have pitched 14 and they wouldn't have touched her. Uh, so totally on to start. And the fact that she did that first time out to start off the regular season, pretty impressive. So I'm going to, again, like you try, you know, I actually have a couple that are not 2019 oh. in there. So, but uh, I, I think you need to get a couple of those that are this year. So I'm going to go with the perfect game in there at number five. It's hard to miss with a perfect game. But I like my number four, Tom. That is 2019 at Florida. Now, let's uh, let's read the stat line and then put some context here. Seven innings, two hits, one run it was earned, five walks, five strikeouts. You hear that and you think, eh, that's good. But then look at it in context. This is against one Florida two on the road, and three in her first complete game since coming back from injury in 2019. Remember, she was out for a couple weekends, came back against Georgia on a pitch count, threw one hit softball and four innings there, but couldn't finish because she hit her mark. Then she came into Florida. The pitch count was apparently abolished because she pitched a bunch that weekend and I think looked Mm -hmm. really good 
against the Gators in that first game. To be as sharp as she was against an offense that had the chance to be dangerous while they did have issues was really impressive to me. So that's why 2019 at Florida, game one of that series, is my number four. All right, with my number four, I'm going to, again, say in 2021 – and I'm going to put in that that 13 strikeout game against Liberty as her number four career high. And again, she was just totally dominant. No walks, or does she have one walk in the game? No walks. No walks. No walks in that one too. So yeah, just all over the strike zone, just totally overpowering what I think is a pretty good Liberty offense. And again, setting a career high, it's hard to go against it. So I'm going to go with the the matchup with Liberty, the 13K game as number four. All right. I wonder if our top threes are the same games. And if the order is different, we'll see. My number three is the game where we realized, holy crap, this girl's good. 2019 (laughs) at Arizona, seven innings, six hits, one run, zero earned runs, zero walks, eight strikeouts in Hillenbrand in Tucson. I will never forget it. She gives up the run on an error. Runners are on second and third, I believe. I know there were two runners on base with nobody out. And Montana Fouts strikes out the next three batters. I will never forget it. That was the sequence. That was the the moment where we knew this girl was something different. And it's my number three. It should be higher, honestly, but one and two are just too good. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, that, that's my number three as well. Just to, to be able to do that in that position as a freshman in Hillebrand against a team like Arizona and to just really announce that she's here. Uh, it was it was so fun, uh, so so great to watch, and I, I'm I'm sick with that one as number three for me as well. All right, my number two, Arizona again, Women's College World Series 2019, seven innings, three hits, no runs, three walks, nine strikeouts. To do this against Arizona a second time that year, right after Alabama had blown out Florida 15-3 in five innings, if anyone forgot, this game was crazy, and to yeah. go an entire year against Arizona allowing nine hits and 14 innings and none of them extra base hits. Uh, no one does that. That yeah. that was special. And to do it on the biggest stage, even better as a freshman. I mean, and yet it's only number two. But I, yeah. I have to assume it's your number two as well. It is. and But I will still stand by my statement that it was the more impressive performance by Alabama and Montana Fouts in particular of the day. And that's after you, you beat – Florida 15 to three and eliminate them from the world series to be able to come back. And another thing to remember, we didn't even know if that game was going to happen that day. So there was also, you know, cause there was the weather and then an extra inning game that threw the entire uh, day out of whack. As far as the schedule goes, that game started pretty late. I want to say it was either nine or 10 o'clock local time before that game even got started. And for her to be able to stay focused and for the entire team to stay that mentally focused and ready to play uh, in that type of game. Uh, it's, it was just totally remarkable and great job by Montana specifically. Number one, we have the same one, don't we? I'm pretty sure we do, yeah. Yeah, Oklahoma, Women's Oklahoma, College World right. Series. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> again, I mean, against, uh, you, so you have to take on the two, probably the best offenses uh, in, the, in the nation that year in, in a less than 24-hour period in the two biggest – high stakes matchups that you possibly could. And she was just unbelievably dominant in both those games. Eight innings, four hits, no runs, mm. no runs, none, four walks, five strikeouts. 
just and when and chef's kiss and you know you're going against uh juarez who's not giving up any runs either so you you couldn't you there was no margin for error and she just went out there and just continued to just do her thing and it was it was so awesome to watch and the highest possible stakes to do that just I, i'm right with you chef's kiss I think we're going to see something similar this year. I don't know when, hmm. but I think the chance will be there to add some more 2021 games to our top five Montana Fouts pitching performances. Yeah, 100%. I think that's definitely going to be as as much as there is some fluctuation throughout all of college softball, the top looks pretty much set, uh, and it looks like it's a lot of the uh, the normal faces are up there, the usual suspects. So I certainly expect to see – UCLA, Arizona, Oklahoma. The, as If Alabama has an opportunity to run for that national championship, it's going to be a tough road going through them. Yep. All right, let's talk about some of those other teams, Tom, as we take a look at some of the big non-SEC games in week three. We discussed all the big SEC games. It was a long list. You know, naturally, the non-SEC games list is a little shorter, but there are a couple games of note. Thursday, BYU at Arizona. Could you be, know, yeah. Maybe, maybe. Friday, I, the one to circle, obviously, is the one Tara was talking about earlier, I think, Oklahoma at Arizona State. I mean, a true test for OU. It's in Tempe. Arizona State is, has shown power, as Tara talked about, with the hack parts and all of those powerful bats that they've got in the lineup. But Allison Royalty, the pitcher, has been the talk of softball a little bit, you know, kind of an under-the-radar pitching star among Pac-12 circles, and she, I assume, is going to get a chance to really shine against maybe the best offense. No, definitely the best offense in the country <laughs> in Oklahoma's. That's something we saw with Arizona State when they came here for regionals in 2019. All they were missing was an ace or somebody in the pitching staff because they had the offense uh, for sure. And if, if she's able to kind of step in and be that ace for Arizona State, Everybody's talking about UCLA, Arizona, and Washington out in the Pac-12. Uh, don't forget about the Sun Devils. Uh, if, if they're able to make those type of waves there, it could be a big add-on to all the stuff going on out west. Also big on Friday, that's when the Big Ten bubble begins in Florida. Interesting concept. I don't, I don't know. I wish the Big Ten was playing some other teams, but yeah, it's okay, whatever. The issue is, for me, there just weren't a lot of interesting matchups this weekend. A couple stuck out. Saturday, Iowa and Michigan are playing twice. Iowa's been kind of a dark horse tournament team, maybe, mentioned by a couple of our friends at different softball publications. The other one that stuck out as we as we move forward in the weekend, Sunday, Minnesota twice against Indiana. As I remind ah. everyone, we are also an Indiana podcast. We Big support the, the Hoosiers. Hoosiers. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I mean, Indiana's got talent. They could steal a game from Amber Pfizer in Minnesota with, with that new regime in coaching up in Minneapolis, or I guess in this case down in Florida. Yeah, that's – I mean, those these are the type of times when Indiana is going to need to try to steal a game or two because, you know, if, if they're going to try to make waves toward the top of the conference, that's what they'll need to do. They get these wins, get them in neutral sites if possible. So it, it's a big it's a big weekend for the Hoosiers. Yeah, I kind of feel bad for Indiana. It's a lackluster, quote-unquote, slate. But Indiana starts out with Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. That's easily the toughest of any Big Ten team to start out the year. We'll see what Wisconsin looks like after not bringing back their seniors 
apparently the only program that was like, no, you do you Badgers, but we'll, uh, we'll see how the Hoosiers look. We're going to keep an eye on you, Indiana. We like mm-hmm. you. We're fans. Yeah. A <laughs> couple other Saturday games, Tom. Louisiana and Oklahoma State are meeting up in Baton Rouge as part of that little mixed match of, of teams down in Louisiana. Oregon State, Arizona. Oregon State's looked solid with Mason in the circle to start the year. Iowa State at Arizona State. Iowa State, suddenly the darling of the Big 12. Yeah, they uh, got a couple wins over uh, Missouri and Ole Miss in this past weekend. And you're always looking for somebody to kind of jump out from the Big 12 because it's usually Oklahoma and everybody else. Oklahoma State seems to be that team, but it could be Iowa State too. The Cyclones could make some noise. And Louisiana, they've done what they need for a not for a group of five team to really get toward, you know, get the top eight seed. They're playing the type of schedule in the non-conference that they need to do to be able to do that. They, they seem to have played a lot of uh, big names already, and they got some more coming up on the schedule too. Pandemic be darned, Tom. Louisiana is going to play these Power 5 teams. Good. (laughs) And they play them again on Sunday. Oklahoma State again in Baton Rouge. So this week, two games against LSU, two against Oklahoma State. We're going to find out if Louisiana is for real. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, we'll see them in Tuscaloosa a little bit later on, but that's when conference play gets started. Uh, But So we'll see what they need to do here in the pre-conference. Also on Sunday and also Monday, but I guess we'll talk about that next week on the podcast. Oregon and UCLA. Mm. Mm. If UCLA has any cracks right now, we're going to find out because Oregon is a decent team. Terry Henry's already talked about them. I'm not so sure that they're going to win a game. If they can make it two really competitive games and maybe get to Faramo a bit, I could buy in. Maybe on Oregon. I think, I think though, that this will be yeah. more telling about Oregon than UCLA. And I think you'll see if Rachel Garcia doesn't play, maybe you'll see what the depth is like at UCLA, but I can tell you it's probably, probably good. <laughs> so I <laughs> uh, don't know if it's going to be that big of an issue, but yeah, I think it's be more about Oregon. You would certainly hope they'd have enough to be able to, you know, not get run rule twice. So it was a 4-0 weekend, and yet, Tom, people still found ways to complain, as they always do. Yeah, there's. I'm still just discombobulated about people's inability to figure out schedules and understanding that if a game before, in a tournament schedule especially, if a game before doesn't end right on time, that means the next game is going to be a little bit late getting started. It's not a new thing for softball. It's It's been a thing forever that doesn't mean that game's not going to be broadcast. That doesn't mean that game's not going to be on the radio. Just means we're going to be on a little bit later, especially considering the fact it's an Alabama game before it. Cause I got a lot of, a lot of questions about why did the LSU game start later on Saturday? Cause the game before was still going on. It, it's it. I don't understand where the disconnect is there and why instead of, you know, you look at you, you tune over, and you, and you want to go to the ESPN stream and watch Alabama LSU. Alabama LSU is not there, but there's an Alabama Gardner Webb labeled game there. Click it and see what happens. It's it, just it, the way it is. It's just, you know, we had the, the doubleheader against Louisville, and now there's a question every time was this going to be on, is this going to be streamed? Yes. Every game, every single one of them is going to be streamed from now on. That right. was a one time deal. 
let's put it in perspective. The TV schedule's out. It was tweeted. It was posted on Facebook. It's on mm-hmm. the website, RollTide.com. Look at the schedule. It'll say the channel. If there's no channel there, it's on SEC Network Plus. The only one I'm concerned about, and not even concerned is the right word, is UAB. I think that'll be Conference USA TV on the road at UAB. Right. But other than that, it's SEC Network Plus. Boom, shakalaka. That's it. I was saying, every game is on the radio. If you're in Tuscaloosa, 93.3 FM. If you're not, praise93.3.com or their app. Yep. Got it all. Right it's there. all there. Sorry, go ahead. Continue. Just, well, just you're, press you're the button. Just press <laughs> just the dang press. button. <laughs> and if it's buffering, you might just have crappy Wi-Fi. Sorry to tell you. <sighs> I have it at my house. Why do you think... As I let you peek behind the curtain, every coaching call, every Zoom we have ever done, Tom, you can confirm this. It's been here at this office. You have no idea what my house looks like. (laughs) None. None None whatsoever. I do not trust the cell service or the Wi-Fi in that building. As much as I love my home, Mm -hmm. I will never do a Zoom there ever again. I made that mistake once. (laughs) So maybe your Wi-Fi is just bad, people. Just Just problem solve. Just press the button. Just push the button. All right. Alabama beat Liberty 6-3. Game one of the weekend. That was Friday. They had 10 hits, Tom. 10. It's pretty Ten. good. Yeah, take it. Yeah. One comment. I can't believe this. Love them, but still feel they need a hitting coach as they have for years. I mean, that. how is that a takeaway from this weekend? In four games, Alabama had 43 hits, Tom. Alabama had 23 hits on one of the best pitching staffs in the country at LSU. Yeah but they need a hitting coach. They have a hitting coach. His name is Patrick Murphy. Again, I bring up, what do you think Patrick Murphy and Allison Habits do? <laughs> what, 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 what is, what are, because it's not the title, do you think they, they just say, yeah, you fend for yourself hitting? I can't. I just can't. I'm sorry. I mean, it, seriously, how are we back on this? I thought we were think, done with that. Also, you don't think Stephanie Van Brankel Prothrow, who, by the way, hit when she was in college, you don't think she might have a pointer or two hitting for, for the players? You think she might not mention something? The ability – sometimes I'm amazed, honestly, Tom, at the ability to find something wrong. Anything yes. else you want to add to off the wall, Tom, before we uh, shut this baby down? No, just basically, like you said, just it, – it's kind of similar to what Tara was talking about earlier. Just be glad softball's back and watch it enjoy it. No need to, you know, be the armchair quarterback, armchair coach about everything. Have fun. Enjoy it. You know, if it's a – if you really want to watch the game and it's only a, a one camera stream uh, that you have to click a couple of times to be able to see, you know, that's better than what we had a few years ago. Be thankful for it. We've got gear, but if they are come to Rhodes, who knows? Because three games went by and I forgot them all <laughs> again. So I'm not going to be at Rhodes this weekend because we will not be on site for television. I might swing by and toss you some farcical stickers to hand okay. out to people if they swing by but um, yeah. you know stay tuned folks to the twitter at out of the box underscore pod we'll let you know if there's gear available at roads this weekend speaking of twitter tom where can the people find you find me at t canterbury rtr on twitter had an interesting discussion and I've, and shout out to the guys over at tide 100.9 uh having they're gonna have me on again this next uh tuesday if you're in the area or you want to listen on their streaming app as well talking some softball and also talking some wrestling. So there'll be wrestling on the Twitter and uh, softball as well. So a lot of fun. New world champion, the Miz. He cashed in last week, last night. The who? The Miz. Sure. Two-time champion. Miz. You know, okay. The Miz. Former, 
Former uh, on Real World. He was on the Real World. He's a star there. I thought The Miz was our nickname for Larissa Anderson, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be funny. Yes, Mike yes. Mazanin is his name. So he is a champion. So we'll, we'll be talking about that over on Tide 100.9 uh, Tuesday evening at 8.30 if you're hanging around. There you go. Tide yeah. 100.9. Tom Canterbury. In case, you know, you finish this podcast and <laughs> want you want more, more Tom. Because <laughs> who doesn't need more Tom after a hour and a half out of the box podcast amen you can follow me at gray g-r-a-y underscore robertson and then lots of ways to watch and listen this weekend we're going to be in two different places so you can't go wrong either way i mean just click the link either way right but if you really want to listen and you can't click the link and you're still confused tom where can people find you this weekend and this week on the crimson yes. Tide sports network yeah, for every Alabama softball game, we're always on 10 minutes before first pitch. For instance, on Wednesday, it'll be Alabama UAB, 6 o'clock first pitch, 5.50 the airtime on the Crimson Tide Sports Network, which you can hear in Tuscaloosa on 93.3 FM over the air. Uh, they also have an app, the Praise app. You just go to the go to the Google Store or the uh, if for those of you with iPhones, just go to the iPhone app store and uh, download the Praise 93.3 app. They got all those that are praise933.com. Mm-hmm. And then for me and Sid, ESPN app, that's it. Yep. Just press the button. We'll be there at, at first pitch. And if there's a brief break between games, don't panic. It right. will come up. The game is not canceled until we tell you. And even if it does get canceled, we'll probably come on and say the game has been canceled because unfortunately, Tom, it does look like weather might, be a little mm. impactful this weekend fingers crossed knock on wood oh, yeah hopefully not uh but and there's links to all those if you go to rolltide.com on the schedule page for every game live steps live audio watch live it's all there take a click press the button that's yeah. all we're asking you to do I, yeah. I, I do i do appreciate there are people now in the comments that are trying to help yes so good work yes. everyone it's Thank a community you. we're all here yes. for each other yes okay and if you know we need to inform our elders of the softball schedule that's been out for like a month <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap this up thank you to our guest tara henry sydney and little john watkins that's it for this episode of out of the box uh, again thank you to tara sydney for joining us always great to talk with them and thank you to you as well loyal listeners for joining us and and listening each and every week your support means so much your support this past weekend meant so much again we had a huge audience in a variety of ways watching, listening, tuning in. And it was great to hear from so many of our friends, Tom, who really enjoyed keeping track of the Bama Bash. As you mentioned, we heard from people, even LSU fans. So uh, that was fun. Um, and it, it's a big community. We're all we're all just enjoying softball being back and uh, glad that we have different ways that you can listen in and watch in. Yeah, we were given mixed reviews on the LSU Facebook page, which to me is a win. I'll so, take it. Take it, 100%. Absolutely. And we've got was- six games... I was going to say, I was also told that I mispronounced one thing. And if I only mispronounce one thing, especially for LSU on a broadcast, I will certainly take that as well. That's why they call you the best <laughs> in the business. <laughs> but folks, it doesn't end yet. We've got six games this week, as we've talked about. UAB on Wednesday, Memphis twice on Friday, North Carolina twice on Saturday, Troy on Sunday to wrap it all up. Tom has the coverage on 93.3 FM for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. I'll be in the TV booth with Sydney, Little John Watkins on SEC Network Plus. You can't go wrong. So just enjoy the action. It's all there. And don't worry. If you so choose, 
there is a stream. I just wanted to get that out there. Your fears are assuaged. It's fine. Push the button. Just push the button. Push the button. So for my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson saying so long. We're rolling right along, folks. Buckle in and enjoy the ride. We'll see you next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. Thank you.